On the Pilot TV podcast this week, we are basking in the glory of Empire, specifically the Cleonic Empire in Apple's sprawling hard sci-fi series Foundation, for which we also talk to the Emperor himself, Mr. Lee Pace, later in the show. We are also infiltrating Nazis in the 1960s via the BBC's Ridley Road and investigating the case of a missing child with Anna Maxwell Martin in Hollington Drive on ITV. I'm James Dyer, and welcome to the Pilot TV Podcast, a show that has watched all ten trailers for Foundation in advance of this week's show, and, now that the embargo has lifted, can finally tell you all about them. But, before we get into the thousand-year saga, packed with genetic cloning, psychohistory, null fields, and imperial auras, we have our own genetic dynasty to account for, because joining me on the Pilot TV triple throne are, as ever, my two co-hosts, Pilot's very own Brother Dusk, Boyd Hilton... <laughs> And our sister Dawn, Beth Webb. Uh, but it actually isn't just the three of us this week. As we've drafted a fourth guest host for this week's show, you will know her for her wrong opinions about Star Trek Picard, for banging on about <laughs> Arsenal on Twitter even more than Boyd does, or perhaps for her work as creator of Channel 5's Blood, as a writer on The Last Kingdom and creator of this week's Hollington Drive, none of which can hold a candle to the episode of Danger Mouse she wrote in 2016. It is the one, the only, Sophie Petzl. How are you? Um, I'm really, really excited. I, I, I'm like uncoolly excited because I listen to this podcast so much. But can I just say that this is the first time I've heard or realised that you're reviewing this this week yeah. Yeah. in We're, front of me? No, 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 we won't do it in front of you. Well, we can do if you want. Yeah, we can, we can make you sit here and listen. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, was, I was like, but oh we, my God, that's, we, like, that's like a notes session. Yeah. No, there's a really awkward moment about, there'll be a really awkward, about an hour in or an hour and a quarter in where James will kind of try and somehow shuffle you off out yeah. of the studio oh and into your car God. to take you wherever you need to go while we review the show Fine. but of course you will hear it anyway just on delay because you can what? listen to the whole the rest yeah, of the yeah so when Boyd starts slagging oh, it off yeah. after you've yeah. left you're, spoiler you're alert no, no, no. So if you, spoiler alert we didn't we obviously we liked it I mean you know I mean, well obviously Boyd liked it <laughs> clearly but you don't know if Beth liked it because she's no. kind of the black sheep of this particular family I and I, I, I don't trust her no, I don't trust fine. her no I don't I, I, I don't listen to or, or read anything until people say oh you should read or don't you really in case you read something negative or just yeah, because then I'll be like, yeah, no, yeah. I, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm a sensitive soul. No, no, it's, it's fine, it's fine. No, but I just <laughs> but suddenly had this, I had this white flush of panic of they're going to do it in front of me. This is like, yeah. this no, is like that a would, notes call. That would be insane. But having said that, when I reviewed TV on Five Live for about nine years, we did used to review the shows in front of the people. Oh, it, was in, it was, that's that's so it was that extraordinary. And books, we used to re review books in front of the authors, and, and like, a couple of times they walked out. Because oh. how did you though, Boyd, notoriously critical as you are, yeah. deal with that? I just, it's hard, it's really weird and hard, but you just got kind of kind of got used to it. And there's ways into it. It's not for me, that's what you say. It's not for me. I, I, you know, <laughs> it's not it's for me. It's brilliantly written and magnificently conceived, yeah. but it's just not for me, which means, yeah. This, this is like when, when you go to like a press screening and they and you come out and you're like, and the publicist goes, oh, the filmmaker's just here. They just like to have a word yeah. with you. And they shuffle you in front of them when you're still kind of dizzy from having watched the film. Like we came out of Valerian and City of a Thousand Planets and they literally shoved me and Nick and I can't remember, I think John Nugent in front of Luke Besson. And he's like, what did you think of the film? And so me and John did the only sensible thing. We grabbed Nick and thrust him forward. And Nick said something along the lines of, it was very colourful and looked extraordinarily hard work. And I was like, yes, nicely oh. done. 
and like, oh, yeah, well, like Luke Besson sitting there going, "What?" Well, I, I, like that's one of those situations that I think only the publicists want. That. Yeah, right. No, yeah. Yeah. Nobody. Yeah. Exactly. No one's having a nice yeah. time. No one's enjoying this. No. <laughs> Besson doesn't want critics still reeling from that absolute like, mess to I, talk to him about I it. I don't know if it'll, this happens to Luke Besson, but like, if if I came, if somebody said to me like, "Your show is really colourful," I would be lying awake at night, going like that. That just, just in my head, going colourful. Yeah. 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 They come out the first season of Blood. Oh, the field of wheat was the glorious. Field. I loved um, the wheat. Oh, it's the locations or the costumes. Like, it's like, the costumes <laughs> yeah. are amazing. And you're like... To be fair, Valerian was very, very colourful. It was, it was, and it did look hard work. I mean, for us as the viewer as well. So hard work for you. It was hard work for everyone. It was difficult. So you don't read reviews, just to know. So if if... I, I mean, I do. Okay, but good, good reviews only. Uh, I no, don't, have you ever had a bad? I don't. I, I can't. I mean, I've read reviews. Well, of, oh, there's got to be a contrarian. If I'm, candid, yeah. if I'm being candid, when Blood Two came out in Ireland, it was hated. Really? really? No. Yeah. For what That's reason? Ridiculous. Like why? I, Please no, don't no make real... her do this. Don't list off I'm the sorry. Yeah. Now I'm, I apologise. You're right. Best right. Like if, it hadn't, if it hadn't done okay in, in the UK, I think I would just never talk about it. Until now, until you come on this podcast, I'm a reveal. I've probably got like people back home going, "What are you saying?" No, no, no. But no, it didn't go down very well at all. We got it. Nobody really watched it um and i think we only got like one kind of press coverage and it was like sort of two or three stars i think and and um yeah it was it yeah it was just it was weird and so coming into the the i mean in the uk it came out in the uk and it was in the middle of the pandemic and i was just like this could just be such a double whammy of shit (laughs) and uh thankfully it was okay um no, I sort of, I kind of do. I'll sort of glance at them, and then if it looks like it's going to be nice, I can't. That's nice, but like, right. I, I torture myself in so many myriad ways. Um, I try very hard to not sort of, um, you know, grind bone on bone by like staring no. at. Uh, but um, but people who say they don't read reviews, I always think, are you lying? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because like, I mean, you you look at it, and you're like, oh, do I? Oh, I don't know. I'm not going to look. Um, yeah, no, it's um. I don't know what it is. It's 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 probably it's it's an ego anxiety thing, I'm sure. But uh, oh, I think yeah. it's. No, it's I, I don't think I could ever. I don't think you deal with it at all. Yeah, no, just, just like you get sent cuttings, but I don't think the publicity team send you your two stars or one stars. Yeah, no, um, but no, I mean you don't see every single one of them. But you're kind of you get you see the sort of the major ones. And if, if you follow an outlet on Twitter, that's the worst one when you've not you've been a grown up and you've not gone googling it, mm. and then you just suddenly the Guardian come up comes up with your thing, two stars <laughs> the, uh, in the Guardian <laughs> Arts section, and you're like, <gasps> oh, um, yeah. But like me coming onto a, a reviews podcast and going, God, reviews are difficult, aren't they? <laughs> <laughs> but there is no such thing as universal acclaim, is there? There's always mm. some contrary fucker who hates. You know, even the greatest masterpiece of all time will have someone who doesn't like it. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. With the exception of obviously C on Apple, that's the one no. clear exception <laughs> to this rock. And Picard. And, <laughs> yes, indeed. Stay and the masterpiece of Star Trek Picard. Every yes. time, every time I'm, I'm often listen to uh, Pilot TV while driving my car, and every time you describe Picard as character-led, I nearly crash. <laughs> it's like the characters. Yes, oh. they are characters, and they're in it. Yes. Oh, yeah. So you're, you're not feeling the character love in Picard. Um. Well, I think as part of my issue is this, I don't feel like any of them are acting like themselves. So like, it's it's led by a man called Jean-Luc Picard, but not by the Picard that I recognise from Star Trek in any way. But um, well, he's older, you know. He's been through a lot. Yeah. Oh no! I mean, we don't need, we don't need to turn this into Sophie complains about. about oh, we Star absolutely do. We, we absolutely. I mean, it's do. early doors, but why not? Yeah. yeah. No, I I have this boring old like rant about. Um, 
the, 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 I don't know. I don't really know how to describe it other than like the YAification of absolutely everything. Um, <laughs> um, how uh, I like it, the, every, everything in kind of all Star Trek. Like ev- everyone's always five seconds away from going. It's my anxiety. <laughs> um, and like it's, it's, a, it's amazing, obviously, that all these shows sort of going into like into you know, Star Trek has always been issue led, and mm. I love that. And you know, I feel like there's been some episodes of Discovery that have done that so so well. But it's the fact that everyone is like a 22 year old. And yeah. even in Picard, like, um, I can't remember the name of the woman who plays the scientist who's built and killed all the robots or something. Alison Pill. Yeah, but she still talks like, she's like, it's like, and then and then they just came and killed everything. And, <laughs> and, and you're like, I just, I, I, I always used to, Star Trek used to always have really, this is so, it's so inarticulate for me, but Star Trek used to have big words and they used to sound like scientists yeah. and they used to sound like Dilithium crystals and, Dilithium and spatial crystals. anomalies. And like the, um, the, the, court, the your, your courtroom drum, what was it? Uh, or drumhead. Mm, which is the one where de- they're arguing about data humanity. Oh, the measure of a man. The measure of a man. Like I just cannot see that in Picard now or Discovery no. now because I feel like either we've lost that ability as a species of writers, or maybe I often think it's because every writer is my age now. That like we everyone's a bloody twenty eight, thirty one <laughs> year old hipster, um, and they all talk like they all write like they think. Like yeah. it's my it's my anxiety, <laughs> and, and no one sounds like a scientist anymore. Or there's this sort of studio mandate that Star Trek is a blockbuster now, mm. and um, it all, and it's not for it's not for because I don't even know like because. Or maybe it's because it is for today's nerds, which is, is like blockbuster and D&D references and not the measure of a man, mm. which I felt like, it, you know, nerds were drawn to it, but it wasn't targeted at like the contemporary nerd. I don't know. Yeah. But this kind of speaks to what Star Trek has become, because if you go back to the 80s and 90s, Star Trek was the domain of actual nerds, not cool nerds, because nerds weren't mm. cool. It was the friendless spods who sat and watched Star Trek and loved that shit, whereas now it's cool, it's mass market, it's kind of crossed over. Mm. So perhaps all of those things are, you know, a little bit lost. Uh, yeah, I, a lot of it for me is tone. It's 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 that change of tone, and and it's not just Star Trek. Basically, like so many shows are like this, but Star Trek, I notice it really profoundly because I often sit there going, "Aren't you supposed to be like naval officers? Aren't you? Weren't you trained? How are you the pilot of a ship? Like you're 14." Uh, yeah, uh, and and everyone talks like they're so young, and they they look like they're so young. I mean, I I love Discovery. I watch. I I, I that's the one that sort of there's a lot of like up and down episodes and that. Mm. But um, when it goes well, it goes really well. And I keep thinking of the um, the, the Harry Mudd episode in that first season that's when they genius. had the time loop, which I thought this mm. is. I mean, yes, it's still it's YAified. It's all co- everyone's really sexy. I, I miss ugly podgy men mm. like, uh, like where's Chief O'Brien yes. like, where, 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 like where, yeah and that everyone I used to really fancy Robert Picardo as the doctor who didn't in Voyager as a kid <laughs> I just had a massive crush on this weird middle-aged bald guy because he was so erudite and so he was like a renaissance man and he sang and he danced and he painted and I just thought that was so that's extraordinary. a weird sexual cosplay isn't yeah. it? please take the nature of the medical emergency please take the nature of the medical oh my god I loved him I loved him um, and, um, and Tom Paris was like the one handsome one yeah and now everyone is the handsome mm. one. And uh, I just don't know if that's TV in general these days, but... I very much enjoyed your Twitter rant when the episode of Discovery... I mean, I could just stop there, but the episode of Discovery when when Burnham goes into the lift shaft and there's like a whole other world in the lift shaft of the Discovery. You know, when it sort of opens out and there's like this this sort of quantum realm between decks in oh, the ship and, and you the- were like, what the fuck is this? And we were yeah. all thinking it. We were all thinking where, where, where it. Where the lift doesn't just go up and down the side anymore but it like flies through time 
fine. Yeah, exactly yeah. that. It's like, this is not the TARDIS, it's a fucking turbo lift. Um, yeah, it, it, that's, that's, I'd say that's the least of my, my, my contemporary Star Trek quibbles. Um, and I, I don't know, I think there's a part of me as well that wonders if we deal because Star Trek and particularly Discovery deals with a lot of issues on around identity and more so in this season than in others mm. and I think that's all really admirable but I often think if that kind of, that stuff gets relegated to the realms of young people television um, and I sometimes like, this wouldn't be moot if this was about a 55 year old mm. um, podgy person mm. uh, you know <laughs> yeah. they, who can also be depressed or be having debates about their um, their identity they don't have to be 18 like you know as a queer person like I was having these moments much later in life than like a kind of a really sexy 20 something <laughs> um, you know on the deck of a, you know, and I think it's also often the sophistication with which this stuff is dealt with. <laughs> like, I think there was a, was the um, the pilot like depressed or traumatized, and it all boiled down to like, you got to open up, man. <laughs> and she's like, yeah, you're right. Profound. And I'm like, oh my god, we've done this, we've done <laughs> this. <laughs> come on, come on, let's move. I, and I think I always used to see Star Trek as moving forward the debate, like moving every new thing it brought up was moving it a step forward or going into proper science fiction. Like, what might we think about this in 200 years' time? And so I found it, while incredibly admirable and brilliant, obviously that they dealt with a, they had a trans character and trans cast and stuff, but um, they they just it was they had to do the whole like, oh no, my pronouns are. Mm. And that's a choice, and that's great. Um, I think this, I think um, in my head, there's a, a Star Trek where we're pushing for, like we're talking about 200 years in the future, where that's not even up. Because mm. like this discussion mm. happened in Next Generation back in the 80s. Didn't oh yeah, it? oh like, it, uh, yeah, and it's happening now. And I yeah, I think I always thought of Star Trek as pushing things, of looking into the horizon scanning and like pushing things forward mm. and not sort of being like dealing with contemporary issues, but but imagining them in, a, in that sort of science fiction context rather than being a sort of um, sex education in space. Yeah. Well, it does seem that, going back to the character thing, that I they... sex education. Don't we all? <laughs> don't we mean, all? You're so right there. Sorry, I'm interrupting. But, but sex education, that dialogue, that kind of dialogue and the perfect. way they speak is perfect for in that Absolutely. in that show but and you're right and they sound exactly the same as the characters of Star Trek who it's are running a, a good, spaceship <laughs> totally it's such a brilliant observation but I think it's I think that's true of probably half dramas on TV that have that mm -hmm. as you call it white ya of the way people I think and I think my theory is that if if whoever's commissioning or running these things reads a script that isn't that isn't I think they think that's a, a one way route to authenticity yeah. and realism and I think if they if people if the dialogue is in that kind of why some people are going like all the time like mm -hmm. that you know then they think oh that's amazing this everyone's going to love this because it feels authentic but actually grown adult older people don't talk like that so like in um, what's the show we reviewed Ridley, in um, Midnight Mass Midnight mm. Mass right mm. the uh, Mike Flanagan the new horror series that has l people speak in lengthy massive five minute monologues eloquent mm. monologues about life faith and it's not and a completely adult and it is very and it's sophisticated and I thought it was such a breath of fresh air yeah. and it really stood out to me that yeah. the way he writes that those characters and that dialogue is uh, completely avoids that whole thing you're talking the syndrome you're talking about and it's brilliantly refreshing the one for me that's unparalleled um since the west wing is the good wife yeah the dialogue mm, yeah. in the good wife is it robert michelle king like, yes. um, and I think Julianne Margley, Julianne Margley was saying, um, yeah. I, I really loved her point that she made on your podcast about um, 
how uh, she just loved the way her character answered questions. Mm. And uh, my every time I watch that episode, and it's a network show, there's like 4,000 episodes. Yeah. Everyone's incredibly beautiful. <laughs> yeah. But like they kind of had to fall into all the network trappings of filler episodes, kind of nonsense, endless storylines, incredibly sexy cast. But like we're going to write brilliantly for them. Yeah. And mm. um and just I, every time like somebody would say something it was always the most interesting and specific thing that they could say and they always had an incredible response to it there was never it was nothing was ever route one and that is just so hard it's so hard to do because like i think dialogue is like i think the most absorbed bit of writing mm. you know it's probably the least difficult thing to do but it's the most digested like yeah, an yeah. audience will condemn or love birth and it can based. go wrong really. yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. And did you know how, what did you was there a point where you knew you felt you were confident that you were good at writing dialogue you know, I, I don't i don't think i've ever got to that oh, point. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, thank, uh, thank you very much uh no i don't think uh, i think you come to a point where you are settled you just become this is this is what I think is good like that's yeah. it uh, but I mean you know we disagree constantly uh, like I get notes I, I write a line that I think is great someone says that's really on the nose and I'm like yeah, but isn't that why it's uh, certainly me and um, uh, Jonathan Fisher who together we've, we've made Blood and Hollington Drive we have this kind of sweet spot where, where like often when the debate comes up we kind of look at each other and laugh and go like I think that's right which is like is this silly? <laughs> and if the question is is this silly but like no one's going yes it's like that's probably right and there were moments in like blood particularly like you know it's a frog it's a fucking stone frog and I was constantly <laughs> I was constantly like worried that like you always want I always like stuff to feel like on the verge of funny because mm. I think that's what makes stuff enjoyable mm. like you, you sort of don't want to fall into schlock but like you want people kind of going like this is kind of daft isn't it this is great <laughs> but you also want it to be like no this is somebody's parents dead like mm. and and I would always be kind of like is this fucking ridiculous like him going on some stealth mission during his wife's funeral to hide a stone frog <laughs> and, and we're going is this ridiculous is it is it and going I think that's why it's great actually I think that's why we like it uh, and I think you you have to whether that's you and your colleague or you and your own have to find um that that sweet spot where you think I like this mm. this is you know I, I don't know whether I'm far enough along yet to go like I know what makes dialogue good or I know what I think is me being good I think you sort of try and fail I've also sort of had the benefit of working with actors particularly Blood and Hollington who are incredibly good at delivering dialogue mm. and I think that's as much it as well as anything I think I can't remember the name of the actress was it Anika Nani Rose I can't remember the name of the actress um, but I, there was an interview with an actor who spoke, I think they'd been in Grey's Anatomy or they'd been in one of those long-running series. I think it was a Shonda series, a Shonda mm. actor, and they'd been in something else recently. And they said, the greatest skill you can learn as an actor is to sell anything. Mm -hmm. And that, you know, some actors think they're above crap lines of dialogue. Mm. And you work with people who really do and or have big opinions of what they think is good or bad dialogue. But like, if you learn to sell the soapiest, silliest line, you're going to go so far. And I thought that was really, because you can tell when you're working with people who are happy to and can sell any old shit, particularly if it's like, a, uh, you know, you, you are doing a thriller that has part breaks and needs like dun dun duns or people going, no, he took the gun from the closet at this hour of the day. And they need to be able to sell it like it's the most natural thing on mm. the planet. And so good actors will save you every time. Um, but yeah, no dialogue. It's um, 
it's it's funny that you like we get kind of loved or condemned for it almost all the time, but I don't think anybody knows what mm, no. what because it's good not about is. verisimilitude, is it? Because someone like no. Sorkin, no one talks like that, and yet it's <laughs> glorious. But people, it's often because people would talk about it as feeling. Oh, you know, as feeling real when it isn't, and people often talk about dialogue as sounding authentic or real when the truth is it isn't. I think I think there's the sort of the artsy film school answer, which is oh, it's real for those characters. <laughs> um, but I think there's also, I think people really like poetry and specificity mm-hmm. and and um, and cleverness. I I definitely respond to like clever characters who speak cleverly and yeah. like so um house of cards um you know before <laughs> before, before, all happened, before all that happened yeah. um uh, you know uh, you thought i'd forgotten you is like oh is one of the tv <laughs> moments of the decade and um and, and and beautiful poetic kind of flowery dialogue and i think it's why um you know i tv kind of has fallen in love on and off with playwrights and you know I, I have many friends who are playwrights and tv writers and there are many struggles for them in the transition and what have you but i think what you know what they'll always have is like a because what you're allowed to do in sort of plays and stuff is a much less kind of naturalized mm. much more arsy much more did i say arsy much more artsy <laughs> um type of speech and you can be poetic and you can be metaphorical in a way that like on um on a on a TV drama, you might not expect you can be, and I think you can. Um, I don't. No one's no one's telling you uh, like on ITV at nine pm that you have to be really boring. No one will, you know. And I think uh, I think yeah. I, I I think I think the that pitch towards like verisimilitude is just a is a trap really because we all speak differently. Mm. And if you wrote down exactly what I just said now, it would sound. Either like bad dialogue or nonsense. Yeah, it's like when we transcribe interviews. I often think that you know, if I trans, if I actually transcribe every single word that an actor or or whatever presenter says, it's gonna it, re- it reads so badly, and you have to finesse it a bit, you know, to make them sound like they are a human being. And I think that's you know that's kind of the closest I get to. But it is true because most people are at heart relatively inarticulate one way or the other it's just the nature of, of yeah. spoken language and yeah that does not no one needs to hear the ums and the ahs and the double takes and stuff no. because ultimately that would be the whole but I, I, I do feel like um, p- uh, people like Sorkin can pick up on little ticks and even though it's incredibly over the top and you know non-naturalistic the little ticks have a ring of truth in the way that somebody's saying there was a gun in the drawer and uh, you know and 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 I, I remember on Blood having this whole sort of thing with myself about like a, a moment there was a moment where a character could just say what they learn or like they could just they could be secretive and keep it all to themselves and and um play the play the good true crime game and then i just thought but a real person would just shit the bed now <laughs> and just go no but i saw him and, like, <laughs> and make yourself look like an idiot and like fuck up your own plan and and it's that kind of conversation with yourself you're like oh it's about the sort of finding like what the ticks of human behavior are and i like so sorkin has people repeat lines a lot like the um, like, but you were looking at the computer. I, I wanted to give you the coffee, but you were looking at the computer, and I, uh, you were looking at the computer. You, you were looking at the computer, <laughs> yeah. and, and it's like yeah. those are the kind of thing like that feels real because mm. we often repeat ourselves, and and it's also just there's something flowery and arty about like, oh, he said it three times, but it means something different every time. <laughs> it makes us feel clever. Um, I think yeah, I think people like to be made to feel a bit clever. Mm. It's probably why I feel a bit like I I roll about the the white evocation of everything apart from sex education, which is sacred and perfect. And <laughs> it is yeah. all of these things, one hundred percent. Yes. Um, and it's totally right in in that. And I, also, I think the dialogue on that is poetic oh, and, and, mm. like, and and beautiful and incredibly sincere. Sincerity as well. There's in, insincerity for me is one of my great big bugbears these days. And yeah, irony and nothing. Mm. And like 
you know, emotion is lame and uncool. So anything that wears its heart on its sleeve and, uh, you know, has a, has, a, has a young man saying, hey, you know, it's all right if you don't want to talk to me about this right now because I appreciate your boundaries. Like, great. This is amazing. Oh, Thank uh, you. Yeah. I'm going to watch it all again. And speaking of sincerity, like, well, obviously we have talked about various Star Trek things. How do you feel about Lower Decks? Have you seen Lower seen Decks? It. I haven't seen it. Mm. I haven't seen have it. Have we is not, it not covered this or now? Oh, endlessly. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 I really <laughs> thought just now, by the way, what you were going to link, do a very clever link to Hollington Drive or whatever, you know. Oh, so absolutely yeah, not. Yeah, yeah. Instead, no. you went to Star Trek I went back to Star Trek Lower Decks. I think that says a lot about me. Yeah. I wanted to. To, I mean, not to hijack the whole podcast with Sophie now interviews the pilot TV presenters uh, <laughs> with her questions that have come to her in the car. Um, but um, you guys in animation, yeah. this is interesting. Come on, bring it on, so yeah. the question I've, I've 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 wanted to tweet in, but I thought, you know what, I'm going to do. I'm going to beg to come on <laughs> and then harangue us directly. Is um, does that include movies? So do you guys feel the same about say like Beauty and the Beast and Aladdin and weirdly no, like, because I'm... I thought like. You cannot be talking about the Disney Renaissance. These guys, no, surely. no, but one hundred percent. Like, I love Frozen. Like, I'm going to come yeah. right out and say it. Like, I absolutely do. So you it's, know. T- it's TV shows. It is TV shows because yeah, like, I have a sim- I have a similar thing, but not not quite. But the I same, don't but. quite know why. Like Mitchell's versus the Machine, I five star masterpiece. That was fantastic. Into the Spider Verse, you know, all of this stuff. Love it. Into Spider Verse is one of the great. Yeah, films yeah. 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 But yeah. then yeah. you break that up into fucking ten parts yeah. and stick it on TV, and yeah. you wouldn't get me near Here's it. It's a really boring answer. Which I, uh, so in 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 the, those feature length movies, they have the uh, whether it's 2D animation or 3D animation they have the time and the budget to act yeah. so so you know brilliant animators whether it's on the computer or hand drawn will act through the car- and like you know, I, I always love some of those 90s Disney movies for the acting like mm. they, these are people drawing performances and there's a moment there's like uh, there's a meme of it because it's quite famous where I'll go on about Beauty and the Beast again where um where Belle is offered to stay in, in place of her father and Beast has gone from being like furious and enraged to like oh shit to mm, I don't know she's kind of hot oh fuck okay yeah do you want to do you want a nicer room than this and it's this moment of acting in a cartoon and yeah. you relate and so that moment that thing that you guys were talking about about not being able to they, they don't feel real mm. I feel like you don't get that in these like these movies with a lot of money and a lot of time yeah, and in absolutely. these cartoons and stuff uh, yeah. TV shows like Clone Wars are made on huge budgets for TV series but like they don't have they have to use models you know copy and paste put them in the same thing make them do the same four or five movements I I think it's a brilliant point because I I always feel I'm absolutely subconsciously aware of the fact if I'm watching a 10 part animated series I wrote you know I I felt the same way about The Simpsons from the start and I always go on about how the fact that I really I really love and admire The Simpsons in many ways but I don't actually choose to watch it Mm. nearly as much as I probably should and part of me is that awareness that it's a factory that's making it's a factory process that that is making this stuff whereas when you go and see a a Pixar Mm. film or as you say Beauty and the Beast or a classic design film that you know it's taken five six seven years sometimes mm. to make that film that 90 minute film and i know the amount of love and attention and time and money it's gone into it, and i know that possibly can't be matched in a tv animated thing and i kind of i feel like something in me resents that i'm just aware of it and it's like and i mm. so it just it does put me off a bit yeah uh, but that, that ability to like relate and emote i think i for me personally seems to boil down to the quality of the acting in the yeah, characters yeah. and I mean the interesting that last is so boring of me <laughs> you know, the last series of Clone Wars which they clearly took a lot of time over mm. was really good and there was one did you see it the, um, a couple of episodes the yeah. uh, spoilers but there's like a fight scene towards the end with Maul which was mo-capped so it's like and, and because I always found the fight scenes in Clone Wars so awful and boring because it's just it's you know cost £2.50 and people are just like bang 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 hit lightsaber <laughs> and, and so suddenly to see this 
beautifully choreographed. Like you could tell the quality of it. You could see the expression in the faces because they'd been mo-capped. And suddenly like, oh, that's what I've been missing. Mm, I've been missing mm. that. And like it takes time and money. I'm with you. Like when I saw that first episode of Invincible and there's a fight sequence in that and I was just like, this is cartoon characters just twatting each other with sticks. Like this is so fucking tedious. (laughs) Like despite the quality of the writing and how people love the show, I couldn't engage with that action at all. And then when I saw Witcher Nightmare of the Wolf, the little movie thing, again, like the action in that is proper spectacle. Oh yeah, you liked that. And I really liked it. It sucked (laughs) me in. You know, I loved it. I haven't seen it. Uh, The Witcher. Oh my God, The Witcher. Love The Witcher. Uh, I, I do, because I thought I hated it, but I'm so excited. That's the reaction you're definitely supposed to have. I think I hate it. I'm not sure what is going on. Why are they turning into eels? That's a hedgehog night. Yeah. Give me season two. It was the timelines and stuff. That I was like, what? I yeah. don't understand it. The timelines were co- so confusing. But everyone was telling me that I was being an idiot. Was like, Sophie, didn't no, you see the portrait? I had no, no, I had no idea yeah, what was No going one on. had a clue. Didn't you see the portrait of the two sisters? And obviously then you knew. You knew that, they were, <laughs> that we, were, we were in the past. I also just didn't understand why. Like, I don't mind being confused and then getting it and going, oh, it, but when at the end you're like, why did you do this? Mm. But I still... I have, I have so many friends in that show as well. Like the amount of pals who turned up and I'm like, what the fuck are you doing in there? <laughs> um, Hedgehog Knight, yes. I know. Like, yeah, there's a, and the, the, the naked pretty guy is a friend of mine. I was just, uh, people kept popping up and I was like, what? But I, I did Is he officially it. called the naked pretty guy? That's what we call him, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I must admit, the... There's the, a lot of gratuitous nudity The in sex that position in that, I like, mm. threw me a bit. Because I mean, Lauren Schmidt has Rick is, is running the show and it yeah. felt very... Male gazy at times. It, it, there's a lot of it in the book. Yes, oh, sorry, there is. Sorry, I'm in the games. Rubbish. I've never read the book. I no, but, the games. Yeah, I there's definitely the games. in the games. Yeah, <laughs> definitely in the games. It's, it's... Oh, I meant the game. Yeah, that, yeah. That, I feel like I was like, there's going to be a naked bath yeah. moment. But I really liked Henry Cavill in it. And I just, I there's there's a charm to it for sure because I I, I kept watching it and I was like, this is stupid. <laughs> and then now the new trailers, I'm like, oh my god, I can't wait for the Witcher. Yeah. yeah. So it's a weird one. I like shows like that though. Where we were like, tuning oh. into Tudum. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> when we all. I'm just waiting for them. Um, see, see, clearly no, yeah, see. No, 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 no. Foundation. Orlando Bloom and the oh the yeah, thingy. Oh, I can't have worried. Yes, I forget. Steampunk fairies is both of our jam. Yeah. Yeah. See, Sophie is another one, Boyd, who appreciates genius when she's. I love uh, if you forgot, you've forgotten that I admitted that I watched more of that show and quite liked it. Oh, did you? Yeah. No, I didn't know this. It often happens with me. Growth, it did grow on me, yeah. Because the first the first episode, I, I remember sort of going like, oh, this is not nearly as shit as I thought it was going to be. <laughs> and yeah. the world was really interesting. And um, and like world building for me is again one of those uh, notes where like if somebody says, "Well, the world building's really good," you go, "Fuck me," because <laughs> it's just not something I really care about. Like you know, it's like okay, it's windows and doors, fine, whatever. Who are just the characters? Deleting all my notes here on the preview <laughs> section of the <laughs> show. Where we, yeah, oh, we're building, all talking about world building this week. I love world building. <laughs> oh, foundations, I suppose. It's yeah. all yeah, about the world building. Cannot review foundation without using. <laughs> no, <world> no. <laughs> I think it. Yes, no. It's, I think it's a. Uh, it's it's often when I say I think blah blah is crap, and a friend will say to me, "But the world building." And I just Fuck the world building. Yeah. <laughs> Who yeah. is that main character? Yeah. Carnival Row, it's the flashback episode, I think, it's amazing. That, that seizes you. Like that, mm-hmm. I was like, this is genius. Like that totally got I, me. I just sort of felt like, I, I love shows that, um, I, I, re- I really love that kind of underdoggy vibe of, and I don't mean it financially because that is a rich show, but where like, it looks like it's supposed to be crap, but everyone's everyone's gone like, you know what? No, it's not going to be. It's going to be really fucking good. And we're going to be rigorous about plotting and character. And so even if lots of things, like even if performances are weak and this and that, I think usually what happens is you've got great actors who elevate 
like uh, like can elevate weak scripts. And and it's rare that scripts will punch through everything else. Mm. But I, I felt like no matter what kind of weird shit they flung at them, I was like, these, these stories are holding up and these like characters are holding up. And I, I was like, you go, little show. <laughs> what I also respect about that is the same thing that we talked about with C, the way that everyone on that show you thinks they're doing it. fucking Shakespeare. Do you know what I mean? And I yeah, Everyone really believes that. in it. That's it. Yeah. That's it. And I felt like watching Carnival that everyone's really... No one's rolling their eyes mm. at the camera. Like everyone's really into it. And yeah, it's Cara Delevingne with wings, but let's roll with it. It's great. I, I like Cara Delevingne with wings. Actually, they, yeah, I think there's a weird, slightly horny thing to the whole thing as well. <laughs> it's a bit sort of Twilight, Twilight grown ups slightly. You're like, oh, what are they, they going to do with the fairies? I wonder what. I wonder if they get it on. What the wings are going to do? <laughs> it's all a bit dirty. Probably. Isn't there a bit where they actually have mid-air sex? I'm, 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 I'm imagining this. Was like, probably dreaming that. It could be my own fan fiction. I'm unclear, but I'm sure there is a bit where she elevates with the wings. I don't know whether through. she like elevated Orlando Bloom and they, you know, uh, fucked midair. I don't know. One of them did. I'm sure a character did that. There was was a lot of horny wing spreading. Yeah, 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 lots of horny fairies. And then there's that whole guest who's coming to dinner subplot in there, which is like I really love mental. Yeah. I can't remember the name of that actor, but I love him. Yeah. Is it David Giassi? I probably got that wrong, but I do love him. He's fantastic as the satyr. Yes, yes. I think that I can't remember the actual names is, but yeah, he's the sort of form type um, type of bloke. Yeah. Anyway, we should definitely talk about Hollington Drive because I so, mean, but, but, but okay, okay, okay. Here's well, my you, segue. You've got to go at three. Here's my segue, and my segue is this: for someone who is an, a spectacular nerd of the highest order, who loves science fiction and fancy stuff, you're quite drawn to down to earth kind of character led mystery stuff. Oh, good segue. And so, what I'm going to ask you is like, where are the elves really? Where are the elves? <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, you're just not looking hard. Enough. Yes. Maybe there's like the Emperor's New Elves that only the true nerds will <laughs> see the elves and. Wellington Drive and you just don't qualify I'm sorry <laughs> uh, yeah no um, it's yeah it is weird um, I mean because I, I, uh, I, I sort of get asked this a lot and I feel like um, I've, I've on occasion said like well if you don't write thrillers in Britain you won't work in Britain <laughs> but it began and I think it began a bit that way but um, but I, I've definitely I mean I've always loved thrillers and I've always loved uh, mysteries um, and by and large for me like genre has always been I grew up obsessed with Star Wars and Lord of the Rings and it was particularly Star Wars was like my thing. I had every book and every comic and every magazine like under the sun and I then got rid of them all in that sort of 17-year-old ang- um, anxious phase and I'm now trying to buy them all back and now they're all <laughs> fucking £35 and they used to be seven quid in Waterstones. But uh, yeah, I, I don't really know when and where it sort of happened. I think that there was a degree to which, you know, when you start sort of working like... In, you start working in this industry in the UK that like you're sort of aware if I want to get my own stuff away I have to sort of not write about elves <laughs> uh, which is a bit sad in many ways but like about the same time um, when I, what I found and I can't I can't really remember where this sort of happened but like I started working out that like writing more personally really unlocked something for me and that like when I was trying to come up with like, you know, I, I think I'd um I'd like I'd sold pilots to various big streamers and stuff quite early in my career and they never went anywhere. And and they were always trying to be this big, ambitious, high concept stuff. And then myself and Jonathan Fisher started like trying to develop something smaller, something that we could like get a meeting on because, you know, it's easier as to I think we were both 28, 27, like to um get a channel to give you a load of money if it doesn't cost any money. Mm. So coming up with smaller stuff. And I started thinking about my own family and I started thinking about my own life and I started writing about that stuff and I found that just the scripts were better and the ideas were better. And there was something really quite weirdly 
influential for me in the first meeting we ever had about blood, where the commissioner basically didn't let us speak. He just told us about his dad. And I was like, this is really interesting. I've never had this before. Where, you know, when I'm writing about elves, no one's like, this makes me feel something. And I think always what I've wanted to do is what I love in television, whatever it is, is it makes me feel something. And the stuff that I don't love is when I'm like, I'm just watching this. Mm -hmm. This is something. Or this is very good. It's got five stars. Lucy Mangan loves it. But I'm very bored. Um, and and so I I've always for me if I can make like one person feel something like really powerful then that for me is really rewarding and and um, so writing blood was for me like a real kind of education in not pretending I sound a bit like a bloody actor now like not pretending but accessing the inner <laughs> life but like um but 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 finding truth and 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 having those and it was also a real kind of shift for me in going from being a writer on other people's episodes where you're having to push yourself towards their tone and and their their stories to to making decisions yourself and you're writing you write these sort of very root one safe scenes and you're like this is the might be the only chance I ever get to sort of do me uh, or, uh for the for the world before I'm never allowed to again so I'm going to do that properly and um, I just found the whole thing really rewarding. And I found that like I really enjoyed coming up with those kinds of stories and, and writing about families. Like, I mean, even like I'm sort of adapting uh, Stuart Turton's novel, The Seven Deaths of Evelyn Hardcastle for Netflix, which is far more like high concept and nerdy and stuff, but still. Gosford Park meets Groundhog Day, as it yeah, has been described. Yeah, or like, yeah um, still and, and still like about families, really. Um, and that, 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 I think that I'm I'm sort of really really drawn to that stuff, and so after um yeah after Blood um wanted to do something kind of in a similar vein, but slightly you know wanted to go a bit kind of bit bigger and a bit kind of shinier and and um I, I've always wanted to sort of play with a slightly more heightened tone, and um we were just and had this had this idea um again kind of I, I for me things always begin with dilemmas. I, I like I like unanswerable questions at the heart of at the heart of like um, a pitch or like a thing that will get me excited is less like, uh, you know, you get sent things like, oh, what if, you know, we write about a woman who gets hit by a car and then has to find the driver? And and um, and I'm like, it's like, well, what if you think your dad killed your mum? Or what if like, uh, what, if, what if you and your sister think your, your, your kids have been involved in someone else's kid's death? Like, and what do you actually do? Mm. And, and and I really like those where there's like, a, well, I, I would simply, I would simply <laughs> do the right thing. And, and, and like, well, okay, but let's find characters who might not and get into why. And I, high concept or low concept, I, I, I really like a sort of a complex, knotty question at the heart of things. And so, yeah, I mean, like, so yeah, the kind of the massively long, boring answer to your pretty simple question but I don't really know why my my sort of tastes are so sort of over here and in the genre space and that's how I kind of began like I, I grew I learned to write television by writing fan fiction um you know I I every now and again I have to like do a, a trawl of like fanfiction.net to make sure there's nothing too weird on there that like could be traced back to me like 15 year old me um but um but I, I think ultimately it's like it's all about me getting feelings like from characters and from stories, whatever the dressing. And I think what I learned is to get over this idea that like genre and non, like more natural, like natural drama, um, that there was some great chasm between them. And actually the thing that I'm responding to are characters and journeys and feelings. Um, and 
yeah, so I, I think I just sort of got over that and see them now as all sort of part of the same mm. pudding. It's kind of what Michaela Cole was talking about in her speech. I am often compared yeah. to Michaela Cole. <laughs> <laughs> she, what did she say? Her, her I'm joking, is, by the way. Her Emma's <laughs> speech, but she said, didn't she, to write, you know, write mm. what you're scared of. I'm paraphrasing. What was her actual face? Was, I loved her one about disappearing. I, hover, you, I hovered over delete Twitter. Like, Michaela Cole has told me to delete Twitter. I shall. I must. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Just follow whatever Michaela yeah, just Cole tell, says. Just, do, just yeah. tell me what to do, yeah. Michaela, please. Um, but I think, but I think that that rings that, that seems makes total sense that you're, that you're right about what you really really care about or what really affects you and what really you're kind of like the honesty you mm. know you have that honesty of like I think I realize families. look the way families interact in your in in blood and, and particularly Hollington mm. Drive I feel there's an honesty to that even though as you as you say it's heavily plotted and there are moments that are kind of you know really borderline you know over the top and mm. which I love about all thrillers but you totally you're writing the interrelationships mm. and the kind of like taboo sometimes between them are so feel so authentic to me. I think that's what I, I love. I love like discomfort and yeah. I love um, and I, I'm a real sucker for like, um, I mean, like, you know, my family in comparison to the families that I write about are very, very functional. But I, I and it's not that I sit there kind of studying their every move. But, <laughs> but the more I write about families, the more you sort of you, know, you kind of observe your own interactions you're like. God, the things we say to each other are so loaded, mm. and um, in perfectly innocent ways half the time. But I, like, I love subtext, and I love the things that go unsaid, and I, I, I'm a real kind of um, obsessive about the way that people speak. And I don't just mean the words that they use, though I kind of also mean that. But ha- what they say and what they don't say, um, and I think, yeah, I just think the, um, I think I thought that what I loved was elves and aliens, <laughs> but. It was elves and alien stories that was giving me the things that I loved, which are which were characters and and, and there's also like you know adv- adventure and but like I loved Luke Skywalker and I loved Han Solo, I like I and I actually if they'd been in a cowboy show or in a police show I'd have watched the shit out of that, <laughs> um, and and so I think when I was trying and I you know when I was sort of trying to do my big Netflix like back you know, five or six years ago, like I was trying to write the sort of the big scale and not think yeah. and 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 I think what whittling all that away teaches me is that like what I'm reaching for is not is not necessarily the high concept for the high concept's sake but it, it all has to come back to the same thing and it, which is I and it's not even it's all got to come back to character um but like for me I, you know, I always think like the most accurate term and it's like the wifeification of everything but I think it's a, a perfect term is the feels mm. like yeah. for me uh, yeah. every time I hear that it's like a kiddie meme word but I think that is the most representative term for what I'm trying to create and what I'm trying to get in anything is I just want the feels I just want to go oh like every time I watch sex education it's just permafeels <laughs> yeah, yeah. and I don't I mean it's not, I don't think I don't think you sort of write the likes of Honington Drive or Blood making people feel warm and cosy inside that's no. not what they're there for but um, but you want people to feel things. You yeah. don't want them to just go like, oh, isn't this clever? Whether that's discomfort or like annoyance, irritation with a character, um, shock, confusion, you know, you, you want people to not be passive, I think. How do you do plotting? Because like you, these shows are very, these thrillers are very meticulously plotted. Mm. They? And do you, so when you're doing, writing Hollington Drive, for example, do you know and you've established, you know, what would happen if parents, these these two women think their kids might have been involved in something horrendous? Mm. Do you know what your ending is? Or do you do you kind of write it and then work, work towards an ending episode by episode? So, um, I mean, the, I mean, I've, the only experience I really have at the minute in terms of my stuff is working with Jonathan, and and we do this stuff cheek by jowl, like together. Um, 
and so, so the minute you get you, you write your pilot script and I we usually I, I don't usually know how the, it ends at that point mm. but um, sometimes I might but um, often I don't and it doesn't usually matter at that point um, but once you get a green light and they say okay write the series the first thing we'll do is go how does it end that is the first right. question to answer um, uh, for me it's just I I can't build anything if I don't know what I'm building to you know everything has to kind of feed into and I don't love um, panicky retrofitting at the end when you're about to go into production you go like, oh, hang on because it, that person did this thing like uh, shit shouldn't that affect how they behave in episode 2 and you're like fuck mm, we're about to shoot so I guess they're just going to have to act weird um, <laughs> so I prefer I prefer to I prefer to try and like layer stuff uh, you know, I'm not clever enough to go backwards I have to go right. forwards um, um, I mean, well, technically, if you start with the end, you are going backwards. You know what I mean. I have yeah, to know yeah, where yeah, I'm going. Yeah, yeah. I can't. Yeah. I can't free flow. Yeah. Um, when when you begin this, though, do you always begin with a story idea or is it a character idea? Does it come, does the story come from the characters or the other way around? It's usually like a sentence. I usually just get a sentence, and usually it's some sort of dilemma. What if this? Yeah. What if What if you think your mum killed your dad? Mm. And like usually, then then if I get like a really good sentence. I, I, like it can sometimes just come out in like like hot shit. <laughs> I wish I had a better. Like the minute, wow. The minute that came out, like, like I could feel the words coming, and I was like, "Stop, stop, no, no." That's what Aaron Sorkin said. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly how he worked. Yeah. And often describe yeah. <clears throat> yeah, uh, yeah, it comes out of you like hot lava. Is probably the best one. And that's the that's the bridesmaids. Line, it is, yeah. Um, but um, uh, yeah, if I get then then it's just then suddenly just all comes together once I have that central idea. It's uh, it's rare. I mean, I've learned from because you get you know you get sent stuff to look at, and I've sort of realised that I've never been sent a character or where I've gone like, oh my god, yes, like I they, they like I, I you can draw a character like it's that's that's fine. Uh, I, I, for me, I think there has to be a an idea that has it that I can suddenly come up with like loads of story for that. Like I I, I can just see it running and running, and then instantly characters come to that. Do you know who the perfect person for that situation is? A person who, you know, do you know what, uh, uh, someone who's got like, what if someone has to um, make spiders go extinct? Oh, do you know who would be great for that? <laughs> uh, someone who loves spiders and somebody who hates spiders. What, what, what a great double act. That Please would make be. this show. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I'm just thinking of like, what's my own terrible fear? Um, yeah, so I think the characters then sort of come to that and I think the characters also sort of get drawn the more, you know, you sort of develop it as well. You know, it, it, I really wanted to do. You know, I really wanted to look at sisters. I I, I felt like you know, I'm I'm a twin. Um, I have a sister. Um, that's probably the most important relationship in my life. And I'm I like as I think blood shows that I'm kind of fascinated by adult sibling relationships and and um, either like you know how people I know people are like I hate my sibling or I don't really give a shit about them. I talk to them once a year at Christmas and that's it. And people who are completely codependent and like. Locked into a childhood dynamic born of trauma, and um, and I just really liked the idea of like families who like live in each other's pockets and the discomfort of that. And like you know, you all, we we know people who you know like oh we live near families. Like, well, what do you, your families think of that? How's that dynamic? Like, what if your I I know people who's like, well, our dogs hate each other. Like, and, and <laughs> I, I I knew like I, that was it. My uh, my um I uh, I have I have family who um who lived nearby one another and their their dogs 
couldn't see each other and wow. it was genuinely a problem <laughs> because they saw each other a lot and like I, little things like that you go like this is really interesting mm. and um, I wish I'd put that in Honington Drive <laughs> that is really good that's a really good keep, little subplot I know I know I keep trying to stick dogs in things uh, but like no um, but uh, um, but I, I just the idea of two siblings who don't want to separate for reasons to be sort of determined um who and like a, a good way to reveal that this is a relationship that shares things that they would not even share with their chosen partners and why is that and why is this the person that you rely on in a crisis that just felt to me I prefer like when I I, I think what I like to do with kind of thrillers is sort of find that sort of non-policier way into them like I you know I just feel like Line of Duty and Happy Valley have conquered all, and yeah. I, I, you know it's not that I am not interested in police drama. Like you know, I I I I just feel like I've got nothing new to add. And um, for me, I think the thing that I'm most interested in in these what if dilemmas is not the kind of how do you solve the mystery, but like it's the it's the who done it or the why done it or the what the fuck do I do in it? Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> rather than the yeah. So so Hollington Drive's an interesting one. I I think hope because. Um, that it's not it's not ostensibly an active investigation at least not initially it you know it's this thing has happened we might be connected to it and now how does that unfold it's it's not and now i'm going to go and become a you know ladies number one detective agency and um and it's so it's more so you know the, the term community drama i feel like is it, it, it makes me sound like a pretentious wanker but um, but it's more sort of about this little group of people and how they react to a thing than it is about you know than it is a a murder mystery initially anyway mm. Anna Maxwell Martin yeah so at what point does she because it feels Detective such Chief a Superintendent Carmichael to you right <laughs> but it feels so perfect for her this role like she has that um kind of on edge yeah quality like in if it is in almost everything she's ever done I think like I saw her in Constellations recently on stage oh, she had yeah. it in that like her version of that her character is like totally on edge at all times mm about to become burst into either anger or laughter or whatever mm. and she's similar the character is brilliant like on edge in your did, but did, did had you written the whole thing before she was cast or did you yeah. oh right that's amazing yeah yeah, yeah. Um, well I mean this we, we, we sort of got held up by the pandemic as well so right. um, yeah this was written quite some time before we um, and, and, and obviously that sort of frustrated things like finding cast and um, and so a lot of that process was sort of delayed until like quite a while so we had quite a lot to send um, the actors, I think that's true. Um, so we had, we had quite a lot to send them. Anna uh, is good friends with Adrian, um, who we'd worked Adrian Dunbar, who yeah. we worked with on Blood, and um, uh, she'd seen Blood and really liked it. And I think she'd met Jonathan and sort of expressed interest in sort of whatever we were up to next or whatever. And that, and um, we, um, yeah, when we began this, we just sort of instinctively thought of her. Um, so did you have her in mind as you were writing it? Uh, it was so. It was sort of so long ago. I can't actually okay. remember. Right. Right. Fair <laughs> uh, so I don't think. I mean, I'd, um, it was sort of pre. I mean, it was pre Carmichael and all that. Um, no, I mean, we, yeah. Uh, I, it, this wasn't. This wasn't one of those ones where, like, say, with a uh, blood, where we were like, Adrian, and, th and then it's it's about it's about a girl who thinks Adrian Dunbar's killed her dad. <laughs> right, right. right. Um, uh, this was less like that. This was sort of more. Uh, this was just some shows you write like that, and some yeah. you just don't. Um, but um, no, the minute we started thinking about casting, it was pretty obvious. It was like, do you know who'd be perfect for this? Is Anna. Um, and so that was a really, really kind of happy match made. And Rachel was just another really easy choice. Um, 
And um, I think we were, we were so lucky with all our cast, particularly and particularly kind of humbled by like the level of cast we got for these sorts of uh, neater, like smaller roles as well, like Jonas Armstrong and Jodie McKee and um, and, and, and Jim Howick. Um, you know, who should all be leading shows in their own right. And, and you know, so we were, and Rish, I mean, Rashan Stone and Ken Wosu and Peter McDonald, like we've got a really, really and fantastic cast. And Rashan Stone is someone who I'm convinced is a, is a megastar. Um, uh, he was just in, oh God, <laughs> Keely Hawes. Oh, Husband yeah. falls down the stairs. Yes, yes, yes. Um, he was the, the, he was the well. slightly weird guy in yeah. the mortuary. Yeah, oh, yes, yes. He um, was great, yeah. yeah he, he's slightly creepy and weird. Yeah, yeah. and he, he's just brilliant in this, particularly towards like the end of um, the show. He, was um, that Finding Alice or Losing Alice? It was one of the Alice's, Alice, wasn't it? Finding Alice. Yeah. 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 Well done, Losing yeah. Alice. Because it was, wasn't there... It wasn't what was the, the movie about the couple of ones where Alice just yes, wasn't were, okay, yeah. wasn't there? Yeah, it was like losing, finding something else. What was the one? Is it losing Alice? Where the, the terrible poster, the uh, the the early onset dementia yeah, movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Still, Alice, still, still Alice, still Alice, <laughs> still Alice finding Alice. Look, Alice has been through the fucking <laughs> ringer, is what we're saying. Uh, uh, she's through the looking glass and back again. But no, because it had the terrible poster of which oh, who's the actress very famous Julianne Moore Julianne Moore just staring blankly into the camera mm. uh, yeah and I was just like god what a yeah <laughs> anyway um, but yeah I can't remember what the question was but yeah, I was going to keep saying yeah until uh, yeah, yeah yeah that was totally yeah. it that was it yeah well, more importantly than, than anything else this week, I think it's safe to say is we need you here to adjudicate something for us. And oh, you may gosh. notice from last week, we have a new segment called Star Trek for Beth, where <laughs> Beth, dear, sweet, naive Beth, who has never seen a Star Trek, has watched two episodes of Star Trek, and she is going to tell you, Sophie, what she thought of them so that you can judge her. No, okay. now I'm really so, like, worried because well, I don't mind with you. I will clarify because I might have a friend or two who listens to this and goes like, Sophie is full of shit. Um, my Star Trek growing up was Voyager. That was just because of my, oh my age. God, that like, was, oh, so old. Oh, so, oh, but also, so old. also for but, shame. Yeah, well, it, it was my fault. My parents had sex in the, in the late 80s. Uh, no, I, 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 that, that was the one I grew up with. My mum loved DS9. Yes, But as a kid, so. I found that boring as shit. Oh my God. Yeah, it was, I, I, it was, just, it was just like politics. Now, yes, love it. But yeah. like, uh, so my education on the next gens and the DS9 is sort of late on. And so right. a friend of mine did this with me recently where he was around mine for various visiting reasons. And he said, we're going to watch like three of my favorite next gen episodes. I absolutely, and that was uh, the Darmok at Oh, Talar. yes, Darmok. Antonagra. Love a metaphor. Uh, which was, I just thought, brilliant. Because I said that's a TNG episode about memes. It's just they communicate yes, in, memes. in memes. It's fantastic. And Measure of a Man. Yes. And then the DS9 episode where he commits a war crime. Yes. And then deletes the thing at the end. Yes. Uh, and, and, I, and I was, yeah, but I was already a Star Trek fan, so I was already mm. predisposed to go, this is a brilliant Star Trek episode. So, yeah. No, what so about do, original Star Trek? Did you, did you go back on? Nobody I, needs I've that voice. I've seen boy. so little really? of the oh, original so, Star Trek. I find that so bizarre yeah. I, yeah, I, was, that was I, I think was part watching. of it's an era thing because again it's like, it's like you talk about like, my childhood was next generation like that was it yours was Voyager you, I guess you were original series yeah. I think it is what because Star Trek's all about ideas and I think there's something about Star Trek when you access it as a child it opens your mind to things you hadn't considered mm. and there's something transformative about getting into Star Trek look okay there are limits like, I remember when I would be like dealing with anxiety or stuff when I was an early teenager genuinely the thing that I used to turn to for comfort and this is not even a joke was I had the uh, 
Enterprise D technical manual. <laughs> and I used to, it was absolutely true. I used to open my Star Trek Next Generation NCC 1701D technical manual and start reading about Jeffrey's you know tubes, and that would calm me down. Do you know what? I think I had that as well. Did you? Oh, oh good man. Oh Massive blue. Yeah, oh, well, it was burgundy. It was a burgundy one burgundy. for the D. Maybe you had the, uh, I the original. One, the, orig- from the original. The A or yeah. the B, yeah. 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 So I remember all the stuff about. Klingon and um, there's lots of yeah like scientific faux scientific detail well, this, it just went into fascinating yeah. details about how holodecks worked and stuff like that and I was just like this, this is what this I miss this is what I miss yeah. like this is real scientific <laughs> stuff this isn't just teenage, yeah. this isn't sex education in space yeah. like I miss no one was talking about feelings at no, all at I any point your feelings but this yeah. is what Star Trek is now so now it is I mean we talked about character before mm. like, oh, it's character but it, it's about character it's about feelings it's about emotions and I don't think that's what Star Trek used to be it used to be about ideas and mm. every episode was hinged around something kind of crazy like a idea thing and it was very rarely not you know it did certainly and there were elements like, but it wasn't really led with character and character development that was kind of secondary I think Deep Space Nine started to capitalise on that a lot more when you delved into all the Holocaust metaphors and it got quite fucking heavy and, and Voyager in, in a slightly clumsy way I think did more of the whole like I want to be a commander thing <laughs> like why won't you give me the yeah and like, yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, I, I think you mentioned Macrocosm the other day, which oh, I think is like yeah. one of my favourite Star Trek episodes. I mean, because I think it's where I sort of had my awakening um, when when Janeway takes off her, like, because whenever they unzipped their main uniform and they just have their weird vest on, yeah. shit's real. Yeah. Like, yeah. That's yeah. it, that's it. Yeah, I'm yeah, taking yeah. off the jacket, you're all fucked now. She clearly worked out for the episode. <laughs> she, yeah. had, she had, she was walking around with a gun doing her, um, doing her alien yep. and, uh, and her muscles. And Full I was like, Ripley. I was like, wow. Yeah, I was going to call her Harley and I was like, that's not a fucking name. I can't remember it. So I just said Alien Ripley. Yeah. And I was like, wow. Yeah, it's amazing. I mean, she does get turned into a newt in one episode, which is perhaps not the high point of the series. That's the warp ten episode. We used to it buy. Is. You go to W H Smith and you get the VHSs, yes. and they'd have two episodes. Hundred percent. Yeah. And yep. I think I can I can remember what some of the doubles were. There was the one where Chakotay. Oh my god, it's so problematic. <laughs> Chakotay uh, goes in like they're, they're, they're taken over by a race of um, aliens who live in dreams. Yes. And Chakotay, because he's a Native American, yep. oh my god, is able to control his <laughs> yes, dreams. That's right. And has uh, that that episode was partnered with the ever the dark with the Nebula episode Ooh, when, when yes. Janeway gets all depressed and she's like sitting in her room going like the darkness is me. <laughs> And I, I she gets full Colonel Kurtz. Yeah. Yes. I, yeah. Oh, God. I love Star Trek. See, look, see what you're missing, Beth. See what you're missing. So, I'm, but Beth didn't watch a Voyager episode. Sorry, I kind of vetoed Voyager oh, okay, on fine. account of it being rubbish, but I do still love it. Um, so, you watched uh, City on the Edge of Forever from the original series, did, and you yeah. watched the Inner Light, the whistle episode from the Next Generation. I did. So, yeah. talk to us about your experience, Beth. Are your eyes opened? Ah, his eyes open like Darmok. <laughs> <laughs> well, I will start by saying you Trekkies are a bunch of soppy sods <laughs> because I did like, I don't know what I expect. So my childhood experience, and I will give a big shout out to everyone on Twitter who, from my um, description of the one episode I watched when I was very, very young about bacon, bacon flying mm. off the wall, is, a, is an episode called Operation Annihilate with uh, things that were absolutely nothing to look like bacon, more like jellyfish. Um, sort of coming down so people have already of the community have come forward and found that for me so special shout out to you but that was my entire kind of idea of that was that was all they'd experienced of Star Trek I didn't really know what else was going on I was a big Star Wars fan and I just felt like there wasn't enough room in my life for both mm-hmm. um, but yeah watching these two permafeels is the word that I would like to coin for this because not coin um, <laughs> still for this because these are both really sweet wonderful like emotionally rich mm. 
I don't know if they're capsule episodes or not because I'm not going to watch the others. But <laughs> as two like kind of standalone on. episodes, I was really surprised. I was like, I am learning a lot about Jameson Boyd from these uh, episodes. Yeah. So it was in the light. In a light, the inner light. So it's the one with the whistle. It's the one where he finds the whistle. He finds the penny whistle. Yeah, that's right. And he lives a whole... Is it though? And he lives a whole life, doesn't he? In that probe, he lives an entire lifetime. A whole lifetime. And then like at the end, doesn't remember his daughter or something. And he comes back. But isn't it that that he goes back to the ship and he has the memory of his life. Like he's So that character, I mean, that's development. He has lived an entire lifetime, had a family, they've grown up, he's lived this whole life. And then he has to carry that with him and it was all a dream. And they never come back to it ever again, but it's really... Yeah. But don't you see the whistle? Like in Picard, there isn't the whistle in Picard. Oh, I think it's yes, an early episode no, of that. Yes. See, Picard character, I told you. Um, yeah, that is a really, it's a really, it's warm. It's a warm, like a, it's a big, it's it's ideas e. Mm. But, but with yeah. the permafields. Yeah. yeah. With yeah. The, best, the best combo. Uh, yeah, I was reminded a little bit of you with the flute playing, when they're like, oh, here he is behind his flute. <laughs> behind him, I was like, that's James and his guitar. Um, but I thought that was really sweet. The kids, so he has a son in this that irked me a little bit, but he was like, oh, I'm just going to get into my music, actually. And just like, like Ross in Friends. Like playing Ross Axel in F on a little keyboard. But with a flute. Um, but I thought, yeah, conceptually it worked really well. It was very sweet. But I do, I do have to say, um, City on the Edge of Forever won it for yes. me. And I don't I think I've seen did. that one. It's the Joan Collins one from the original series. From the, the original, from the, original. Yeah, from the original, no, original, original series. It. I don't think I'd have seen it. I mean, it. I saw it like just decades ago. I can barely remember it. I don't oh. revisit if the original series. In it, I might have seen it, but I think that's the only... <laughs> no, that's not the trouble. No, triples. Triples. no this, is a, this is one of the... It's 1967... Um, uh, Absolute classic episode. Oh, Harlan yeah. Ellison wrote it. Famous science fiction oh, writer God. for old people. Um, <laughs> so you are fascinated by this. So you, you're not even you're not particularly driven to go back to see how it all began with those. Is it because you feel they're too dated? There are a lot of or? episodes. It's. I mean, I'm I'm t- I'm, oh, I'm so bad at watching TV when I'm writing. Anyway, am I driven to go back to it? Uh, definitely, when my friend sat me down and having watched some of those Next Gen and DS Nine episodes, I thought I need to. I need, and at one point, I started doing a whole Voyager re one, but I actually just couldn't bear it. You've got to skip a lot of that because um, because yeah. uh, but, but not original, not original. And so have you seen the films? The, the, the I've seen, so Wrath of Khan. I right. think is like I, I, I watched that so late in life that you'd think it's one of those where you're like <laughs> you're just getting, it's going to be lost on you. But I I was like crying at the end. Yeah. Like the yeah. I, it, it, that's an incredible movie, yeah. Wrath of Khan. And, and it makes you sort of realise just how what the other one is the 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 the, the, the JJ one. Dad, there's nothing wrong with 2009 JJ from Star oh, Trek. No, I love the I love the 2009 one, but the the other one, Into Darkness. Oh yeah, Into Darkness isn't as good. It's, no, yeah, it's very mediocre. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's one of those films that does that thing of like pacing alone it makes you think it's good, and then you leave and you're like, hang on, wait, what? <laughs> uh, but like, it's just yeah. so it's rollicking yeah, along. Right, you're yeah, like, yeah, yeah fuck. It's, my my yeah. name is Khan. But Wrath of Khan, right? Who has absolutely is brilliant. But that, mm. so that again, that's not. I'm not judging you, but I'm not <laughs> selling you. You are. You are. I don't know. I know. I know why I am. You're yeah, saying she needs like, to go back and watch Space Seed uh, before she can really to. appreciate. I'm that you don't f- that, 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 that you don't feel particularly interested in it that. Just, in, it just in how really it all occurred began. to me. But now I should. <laughs> I think, Amazing. I, think I mean, if you've achieved nothing else today, no, it's, it's driving about, you back to to original Star Trek, I think, 1965. I think, seven I think I sort of grew up. Think, I mean, I kind of grew up feeling that like everyone had their Star Trek and that was fine. That yeah. it wasn't, that Star Trek wasn't a beginning to end thing that you watched. Right. It, wasn't like your I, Star Trek. it wasn't like I joined in at series four of The Sopranos yeah. and you're like, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> yeah, 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 sure. um, I always felt like, oh, I've got Voyager and it's only, 
I feel like is in this moment here captured <laughs> oh, on on, on your on your iPhone <laughs> and other phones um, that uh, you think oh actually yeah no I should I should really um, but yeah like I said I sort of hadn't even really thought about there's a part of you the sort of snobby part that's like oh it's all just all going to look old and crap isn't it but then you watch something like uh, what is is it called oh. Darmok and Jalad that that episode is called Darmok Darmok yeah, yeah. and um, and in a light and um, the war crimes on a DS9 that you're like you d- if the stories are good you don't care about any yeah. of that shit oh and also Measure of a Man which mm. I just think is incredible and the story for City on the Edge of Forever is amazing isn't it Beth it, <laughs> yes it is yeah. uh, it is no it is it is um, I mean when I first started watching it when McCoy first goes mad I like regretted not only doing this but like every decision I made in my yeah, that is wild. until then and I was like yeah. what the fuck is going on McCoy's all like sweaty and like God, maybe I have panic, seen this episode calling everyone assassins and, and he goes like do you like and then the love story comes in and it's like old movie romance yeah. with a moral dilemma a bit of a what if um, where this person is stuck between these two kind of realities and I love shit like that I loved Aww. it in um, Happy Death Day to You was one that really took me by surprise when I found myself crying at this protagonist who has to decide if she stays in one timeline which is the real one where her mum's dead or this imaginary one where the mum is still alive I oh, fucking no. live for that shit so we've got something like that in City um, of the Edge of Forever and then this wonderful chemistry between Shatner and, and Joan Collins who just comes down <laughs> with the like yes. honestly <laughs> so James was like doing what he always does like a, a 25 and Joan yeah. Collins is in it like monologue about which one and then, and then Boyd was like you know Joan Collins is in this one and I was like sold Done. Yeah. and that's what we'll do and that's why I had to watch two of them so I did prefer City on the Edge of Forever you know The Rock is in an episode of Star Trek Voyager yes which one I've saw that recently it's one where he fights in an arena I can't remember the name of the yes, episode with, with Seven of Nine yes uh, I can't remember the name of the episode either but yeah. yeah Seven of Nine fights The Rock and it's a different voice it's not his voice <laughs> so would you, what, what would you recommend episode wise <sighs> Measure of a Man probably the ones that like my friends are going to be like you're saying that because I told you that you <laughs> fucking liar uh, and Measure of a Man I did think genuine was, and I think that War Crimes episode of DS9 yeah. is incredible yeah. and do I have to pick a Voyager one because Voyager I think should not be totally uh, overridden <laughs> uh, are there, what are the good ones of Voyager oh why well, can't I remember titles the one where, and because now I'm just going to give it away, uh, <laughs> Harry Kim and Chakotay are the only ones left. Oh, like, yes. Well, no, I'm not going to watch oh, it. No, yeah. <laughs> 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 I, don't <laughs> I don't remember the title. I don't remember the title. Snow, the snow... The Doctor. Yeah, yeah. You can't go back and now like reduce the clues. Oh, no, 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 that, no, 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 no. That wasn't it. That wasn't. That's the that's the opening gambit. Mm. It, it's that's the yeah timeless. Okay. That that's I think the best Voyager episode. Right. Um, there are a couple but, of others. But there's always the thing with all Star Treks, except for the new ones, is that there's a period when it starts where it's just shit, and no mm. one can really get around the fact that. Sh- and then there's always a watershed moment. So in Voyager, it's it's Scorpion. It's when Seven of Nine turns up like that, and they leave mm. the K's on behind. Like that's where it gets interesting in Deep Space Nine it's when Avery Brooks shaves his head and gets yeah. a beard yeah. like that's the scene change there's always a point where it gets good right so the ever what was the what was the original one that you watched The Everlasting City, City on the Edge of Forever City on the Edge of Forever the thing is, I have seen so much of the original series via memes and, <laughs> yeah. and Shatner videos that like I feel like there are images I'm like hang on have I seen that or have mm. I seen a meme of that mm. like is that the one where he changes bodies with Shatner and they like, or there's a woman who like becomes, McCoy is like terribly injured and then the woman becomes him and takes on all his wounds and dies. What? No. <laughs> Which episode is that? I, I saw yeah. that episode and I was like yeah, seven about, and that's yeah. the only image I remember because it was a bit galling and quite weirdly sexy, I think. I, I, like oh, yeah. at seven or eight, not being able to work out whether I was like, is this really 
cool or is this really gross? <laughs> there was a lot of like sexy, sweaty McCoy and Shatner at various points, wasn't there? Yeah, yeah. And, I know what you mean, yeah. But yeah, I vaguely remember McCoy going mad, but I don't know if that's just a McCoy, meme. I think it's gone mad a few times. It goes right. bonkers at the beginning of City on the Edge of Forever, but I think it's There's gone one yeah. where he's like, you know, being th- like throwing people against walls and stuff. I don't know if that just happens a lot. McCoy. That is a, kind of a bit of, that sounds like, it's, I think you might mix, yeah, that is kind of the beginning, isn't it? He does, he does go crazy, doesn't he? Yeah, no, yeah. he goes, because that's the thing, they, they have to go and follow him. Yeah. Um, because he goes through a, a tunnel of light. And they have to go back with him back. And then they go back to the Depression. Oh. The main thing is that yeah. we haven't we haven't said is that they go back Sorry, to yeah. 30, 1930s oh, America. No, I don't, I don't so the main so. the main body of the episode is a time travel thing yeah. where they, they go back they have to go back to um yeah to the Depression in America. And so there's a kind of realism to Kirk falling in love with the Joan Collins character mm. in the middle of this wild thing about. You know what? Can we can we change time? Can we change? You know what happens if we do? It's just kind of timey wimey mm. thing. Mm. Yeah. Back in 1967, and you know the kind of thing that everyone's been doing ever since. I think mm-hmm. in science fiction, but it kind of sums up for me. It's kind of sums up the, all those dilemmas about mm. what would you do if you went back in time and you were stuck there? Would you? You know, as as you explained, Beth. I need the, to watch the, that. Yeah, can really can it match when the crew of the Voyager go back to the 1990s and um, hang out with Sarah Silverman? Do they? Yeah. I mean, when? Yeah. Well, sorry, when top, playing herself? Sorry, I, I don't believe she's playing herself. Oh, no. Okay. okay. But they go back oh, and they hang there. out. Tom Paris chats up Sarah Silverman. Oh. True story. They, they, they also do the um, the the French Resistance. Yeah, they do. And do that. They, the yeah. worst the worst Voyager episode, which you probably should also watch. Just like here is how bad it can get. Is <laughs> Fair City when they which? go to Ireland? Oh no! <laughs> oh no! But that's yeah. that's yeah. A, that's the holodeck one. The holodeck. Everybody talks mystery. like this, uh. and she falls in love with the port the landlord. <laughs> Yeah, it's, I fucking hate holodeck wine. episodes. It's, it's when it, the epi- holodeck episodes are always like, let's do something that isn't Star Trek uh, and we'll just stick it in the holodeck. Hang on, I feel like you're forgetting the Balana Taurus self harm in the holodeck episode. <laughs> okay. Where she turns off the safety protocols <laughs> yes. and beats herself up. Yeah, okay, that's quite dark. That's like, I feel like Discovery would do a much more like. Do you need to talk? Yeah. Whereas, like, I think January was like, "Snap out of it, you stupid bitch!" <laughs> and like, and like, now you're like, "Oh God, this is all very problematic." <laughs> right now, I'm have to say, I'm thinking more of ITV publicist um, Sarah, who's going to be listening to this to make sure. We- <laughs> yeah, yeah, we talk about- <laughs> We've literally talked about Star Trek. I think more than any episode no, of this I, podcast. I, do you know who's going to be really cross with me? Is Jonathan? So I should uh, talk more. About I mean, Robinson. I'm just saying she's going to be like plowing through hour after hour <laughs> of Star Trek. She's like. Did we mention knowledge? I'm just, I'm just saying, you know. Okay. Is, okay. is there an episode like Hollington? Yeah, right. No, yeah, there's not there. a, there's not is a. There. Does Hollington Drive take place on the holodeck? And that's <laughs> essentially, it all plays out. It is all out. a dream. Yeah. It is all Janeway's dream yeah. at the end of the day. It's like, it's, it's part of their, you know, they have to sort of do ethical training <laughs> in the holodeck. Yeah. What yeah. would you do if, if exactly. your children might be implicated in a crime? In a crime. Yeah. Yeah. No, um, yeah. Because I do have some other questions, which are one. Go. Um, it's going out weekly, right? Yes. Four episodes. Did you want? Would you? Do you, are you happy with that? Would you rather it was going out like a, in one go in the week? Does it matter? Very. I mean, we're sort of okay. uh, we're sort of um, you know circumstances dictate these oh, okay, things. Right, like right, when right. the show is finished, right. <laughs> you, know, you can't have it daily if it's not finished. <laughs> right, uh, but right. it's but um but it you know I think scheduling is a sort of dark art. You yeah. know, you, you think it's going out at some point, it then goes out in another, and you just react to that. But no, weekly we're very happy with everyone. That was what everyone wanted. Um, 
yeah, there's no. Uh, I've been asked this a couple of times. There's no. I, there's not much of a difference for me. I suppose you know you always uh, you, a four parter over four nights can build up some momentum, but also over you know it can become. But it, you, if goes well, it could become an event over weeks. Yeah. But it depends. If it's shit, it, it doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> it's definitely not shit. <laughs> yeah. If it's uh, if it's if it's great, yeah. um, then it doesn't matter either. <laughs> and did it take bloody ages to find that location? Because you have. I mean, well, you, you may actually, have CGI. Yeah, it I don't did know. Actually, Oh, okay. Incre- looks- it, we we got we got so lucky in the end, I and mean, there was a lot of agonising about where to shoot it uh, because because I I was really keen that it didn't look like sort of suburbia. Um, I, I you know and you you I, I you don't invoke things like Big Little Lies because then people are like they think they've written Big Little Lies and in fact they've written Big Little Shit. Um, and uh, uh, but but we want to, you know what I love about like shows like that and I think I mean my other you can bring me on for another podcast to talk about American representation of class versus our preoccupation with class. But um yes. but like you know Americans get to have these big houses and we don't go on and on about it. Like but anyway it, there's reasons for that. That's yeah. a whole other. I'll write a blog. Uh, but um but yeah no we wanted to have something that looked kind of aspirational and sexy without looking like I mean and people will say like it does but like without too heavily from the exterior looking like the British upper middle classes it just needed to look kind of almost Americana yeah. uh, so we wanted something that looked different and distinctive and also like the uh, the drive is going to be like the main location for the whole thing so it had to look interesting and appealing and and you know we wanted these people to it, you know the, the old trope of these they live seemingly perfect lives but underneath the surface all this shit <laughs> um, so we wanted it to look really kind of nice and appealing without looking too sort of boring uh, two kids in private school. But you also got the sense that the other end of the drive yeah. is, is so, the so smaller this was... houses where the Boyds live. Yeah. And by the way, oh, yeah. just, you know, they're called the Boyds. Yeah. Was that deliberate? Is it no, an homage? No, it wasn't actually. No, because uh, I normally always stick somebody um, I know's name in. There, at one point, at one point, a friend of, there was a character who was named after a friend of mine and then like the way it all panned out, like, that wouldn't have been very nice. <laughs> so, so, uh, so I changed it. But um, so no, I don't think there are any uh, nods in there. But no, I didn't know. I didn't realize that. Yeah, but uh, but no, you're right. That that oh, I totally forgot that 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 was the biggest challenge. Is we also needed to have this sort of there's a you know there's the rich side and the the less rich side. And I sort of I think we're all kind of familiar with our own streets, particularly in like London, where there's so much being built up on, 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 on the stuff that's gone before. Mm. And it's like, it's, it's, it's council housing being knocked down in favor of, you know, fucking skyscrapers. But like, we couldn't have that. And we didn't want that. We didn't want to be sort of referring to anywhere specific, but we did need the sense that like, there are people across the road and a thing happens to them and your initial response is, oh, well, it would, ha-. you know, these, 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 you know, are kind of wanting to replicate this thing that we see in the world around us, which is people of a certain type of in society looking at the other and going, well, that would happen to them, really. I mean, I'm, be- I'm being nice, I'm being nice. <laughs> yeah. I love them, but, you know, and then, of course, it's like, no, there's shit on your shoe, too. And so we needed that sort of a and B side on the same drive. It couldn't, you know. There were times we thought we we're going to have to fake it, and then we just found this place in uh, near Cardiff, um, which um, looked perfect and um, worked for us so well. That is fascinating, actually, what you say about the. And again, I don't want to derail this to becoming a class distinction, but it is interesting, isn't it? The way we have this preoccupation with class, mm. and with America, I often think the preoccupation is about education rather than about you're, class. Yeah, you're totally right, and it's not. And this isn't me disparaging it, saying why can't we get over it because like <laughs> the, the opposite of what I'm saying. But um, but uh, it, it is. I find that I'm torturing myself a lot with who I portray with regards to the class more than I think I would if I was writing on an American show. Mm. Like, no one's worrying in succession that, like, 
oh god they've got a kitchen island <laughs> you know, and, I've already, and I've already had comments like people are going oh so you kitchen island porn in your show and you're like oh Jesus fuck this again and um and this comes from a good place. Or it comes from the right place of there's not enough representation of anything else. Uh, and also, we, but yeah, I just, I find it really, uh, I think you're right. I think your distinction is right that like the kind of, that sort of the classism in America is, you know, is 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 education. I don't know. I, I feel very ill-equipped to kind of have that conversation, but I, 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 um, I just notice it a lot um, mm. that, um, that every time you, contextualize a character you're making a choice and you're making a comment like nothing exists in a bubble like whether or not you want to make a comment if I'd made these characters like a certain way I could be making a judgment on mm. people like that yeah. Uh, yeah so <laughs> one people I feel I can judge <laughs> like middle class people uh, and uh, I, I know that's a sort of a cop out but I mean uh, we we try we've made like you know uh, it was important to me very early doors very early doors that this was going to be a mixed cast and that there was going to be melt like blended families not only um racially uh, but uh, but also in terms of like there was it was going to be partners and half sisters and half brothers and this mm, and I that. love that mm -hmm. and um I, I just you know there's not you know when you are doing a a, a thriller that's about thrillery things you can't sort of waylay you know there's only so much time you get to do anything and so you have to be I can go to bed and, and lie awake thinking I've made really profound comments <laughs> on the British class system when the truth is I haven't you know and I'm not I'm not going to but you can do little things I, I mean it's it's not, you know, casting diversity is not making a comment. It's what we all should be fucking doing. But like, it, it, there are little things that you can do to not fall into the same fucking traps that mm. we all fall in, that we've all been falling into for the last thousand years, which is, you know, oh, so I'm going to set this about like middle class people and therefore they're all white. Uh, and, and the cast is white and everyone on the crew is white. We worked really hard to make sure that we had a diverse crew as well. And I just, yeah, that, that stuff's really important to me. Uh, and so that was really clear from from Greenlight like I, I I want this written in like this isn't something that we're just going to guess at later and I, and I feel like it's all the kind of richer for it and you're just you're just expanding your 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 very tired and old list to actors who are fucking brilliant who you know historically don't get looks in in mm. shows like that mm. again I'm loathe to kind of fucking sit here and go like, look at me the hero <laughs> changing the face of I am being compared to the great uh, but uh, no you just it, you, you become a, you know you're, you're aware of the show that you're you're writing you're aware of the story you're telling and the setting that it's in and you try and you're trying all the time to make sure that you're just not falling into tired tropes and traps as much as possible mm. I mean people often talk I remember talking to Rose Leslie about the difference between shooting like Luther for the BBC and then shooting Game of Thrones for HBO mm. obviously you are going to be doing uh, Evelyn Hardcastle for Netflix, Netflix. Where, where are you with that at the moment where is where it where am I where am I what status is the it the seven at? deaths of Sophie Petzl. Um, uh, I'm, I'm in the 15th time loop uh, I uh, we, well we're writing it Okay, so you haven't got to the bits where they peel grapes and feed them to you while you sort of sit around on set. That, Jesus, which is my only, understanding of how Netflix if works. If only. Um, no, no. Gosh, well, I don't know. I mean, I, I, it would be really interesting to see um, what that production process is like, whether mm. it's any... I've all set, as my experience is that sets are sets. You know, ITV is like, um, you know, in terms of tariffs, and money, that's a boring TV term, money, uh, you know, step up, step up from what we've been used to, but on set, it just looks like a set and it's, everyone... It's, it's craft services, surely that's the distinction, isn't it? Like, craft you know. services in Dublin, <laughs> um, 
were I've never had anything better. Oh wow. Yeah. Really? He wasn't Irish. I, I can't remember where he was from, but like but he'd been living in Ireland for like a long time and he was like the guy. He was the guy you went to and you had the most incredible food and we were so spoiled on blood that you thought that that was how it was going to go all the time. And Holling to drive with lovely craft services. Are you on set all the time for I was for blood one uh, less for Blood 2 um, and then for Hollington barely at all due to like availability and oh, okay. pandemic mm-hmm. um, but I was there as much as I could be whenever mm-hmm. I could get down I'd go down but it was a lot this was just before kind of lateral flow and all this stuff oh, where you right. can go oh, I'm fine I'll go and you had to be like we need to send you a PCR there's a lady on a motorbike who comes to your house and sticks a stick <laughs> up your nose and um, you know and making sure well you know you were at a concert yesterday are you sure you can come down today that kind of thing um, and also I was just like working on another show at the same time which is the first time I've done that double banking um, it just makes me think I don't know how the likes of Jack Thorne and Joe Barton do it mm. where they're like working on seeming like 15 yeah, shows at once yeah. I don't think he's a human being no, is yeah. how uh, that, that person because yeah, uh, I, I, I have like I've, I've like nervous breakdowns as, regu- as regular as people have coffee like, so I, I just can't see myself doing like yeah me doing like two shows at once I, you know you find yourself talking to people like you're like don't you know what I'm going through <laughs> uh, and you're like wow listen to me I'm a twat um, so no but it's a uh, it's yeah, it's it's going all right. It's it's a. Uh, I don't know if you've read the book. I haven't. No, no. Uh, I hear it's it, great. It's great. It's but it's a challenge. Like it's, it's it, mad. it doesn't seem like a straightforward adaptation. It's not straightforward. No. It's not. It's not. It's not like who who did my dad kill my mum? Or is it? Uh, it's uh, <laughs> did my dad kill my mum? Multiple dad times. Kill yes. My daughter several times. Over. <laughs> yeah. No. It's um. But it's a great story, and um, we've got some really exciting sort of writers working with us, and um. Yeah, no, it's it's uh, we're writing it as well. I think the only thing I can say is like, <laughs> yeah, you're sort of in that process for um, as uh, long as it takes. But it's uh, no, it's fantastically exciting. Yeah, really enjoying it. Now, well, before we let you go, we should at the very least find out what you have been watching. Uh, so do tell us what what have you been watching recently? I always hate this question in meetings because I'm always like. Nothing. I've been watching YouTube and I've been watching my life slowly ever away in front of my eyes. And I've been watching your notes come in and I've been doing them. What else do you want from me? And I, when I'm writing, I, I embarrassingly, I, I, I loved listening to Russell T. Davis on this podcast. And he's such a lover of television. And I, and like, I, and I feel like such a fraud calling myself the same because when I'm writing, I just watch, I just watch YouTube videos um, like a 14 year old. Um, but I have been watching Sex Education. I'll drop everything for Sex Education. I finished episode seven last mm. night oh my god but, but it will end that's the upsetting thing yeah. and then you've got at least a year until anything else I, oh. well I was um, I, I, I watched some of Vigil I've, I need to catch up on the last couple of episodes of mm. Vigil I think uh, what else is on this is what I do in meetings I go what else is on and I'll tell on? you if I've watched that uh, well, what else is on? Well, Midnight Mass obviously is around, but that's no, probably in your drop today. I really want to Foundation. Yes, you do. The Morning Show. I so I need to I need to get an Apple yeah. TV subscription because uh, I need because okay. um, I've never watched Ted Lasso. Can we talk about C, please? Is, right. <laughs> C, which I feel like I want to give C a go because you've gone on about it so much, and I want yeah. to watch the Morning Show because that seems like my mm. kind of show. Yeah. The yeah. Morning Show because I like the good. For me, the last time I was properly, properly, properly obsessed with a television show was The Good Wife, where I would like binge series after series yeah. in like two or three Did you days. like The Good Fight? I So I, um, I, I've i got like, I don't know if it's like my sort of attention deficit or something, but like I've started it and like loved it, but like I need to like get into it. And then once I'm into it, I'm into it. But like I'm very stop start with things. I'll watch things and go, that's amazing. And then never watch it again. Yeah. Um, and it's got nothing to do with the show and just my, when I'm working as well to go like, you know what I'm going to do? After 
days of crying over television that I hate, uh, or that I hate myself writing and I hate everything I'm doing, I'm going to sit down and watch people who are really good. Because uh, then you just sit there and you go like, God, I just, uh, why am I here? So I often play video games. That's my main like relaxation mm. or movies because movies feel like distant enough yeah. that I can go. But, um, but you know, the good, I've watched, I watched, I think most of the first season of The Good Fight and I absolutely loved it. Mm -hmm. So every now and again, when I'm thinking, oh, I don't have anything to watch, I think, you know what, I need to go back and watch The Good Fight because apparently it gets better and better as well. And I liked that it was sort of contemporary and it was talked about reference sort of modern politics. Um, I've, I started, I, I did another one. Oh, right. I need to catch up on Succession because I watched Succession season one and loved it. Um, uh, but yeah, I just haven't. So if you want to watch season two, no. oh, what a treat you've got. Yeah, I mean, no, because yeah. everyone yeah, that says is, that's when it gets really yeah. good. What about comedies? Like, have you watched Almond's Not Normal? No, I'm pretty bad with watching comedies. Oh, okay. I love Com I love, yeah, and uh, this is really embarrassing to me as like, a TV writer on here going, I don't really watch much telly at the minute. I, <laughs> I, I'm just so depressed. I'll just play video games until four in the morning and then I'll go to bed. Um, I, uh, but you don't have a James style aversion to comedy? No, not at no, all. Okay. I mean, I've rewatched 40 Towers right. a disgusting number of times. Mm. And like, I, I rediscovered Ab Fab late in life. And I was oh, like, yeah. you know, I think Ab Fab. Then was like, oh, ha, ha, great. And now, if you, if you did Abfab now, it would be daring and bold oh, and lovely. feminist yeah. because they dare to be fucking awful. These are awful dirtbag women who are terrible <laughs> mothers, 100%, terrible yeah. people, and don't give a shit. And there's no learning. There's no yeah. emotional catharsis. There's no tragic <laughs> subplot. Yeah. Um, make mum a cup of coffee. <laughs> yes. I think Abfab is the most daring thing yeah. that's been done yeah. in, in generations. Um, 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 what did I watch? I feel like I have watched comedies <laughs> Again, back, to, like, back to life you've got back to life the um, uh, Daisy, Daisy Haggard yeah. no which is, which is before a comedy is incredibly bleak obviously there's um, a lot of bleak comedy yeah there's a lot of bleak comedy I've had to, I've had to do some um, adjudications on things yeah. un unnamed right um, awards, uh, awards yes yeah. and, and, and oh do you know what ghosts that's it yes I sort of almost I don't know if it's like the, the opposite of your problem James <laughs> but I, I, I get because I mean, you know, Fleabag I think paved that way of like this tragic comedy, being complete genius, being hilarious, and I think uh, certainly when it, when you do award stuff, you're like, all of this is about the tragedy of the mm. human experience, and then in comes Ghosts, which is like, this is really funny, and you're like, and also um the one about the or the one about the guy who was a former drug dealer, Brassic. No. no. Man Like My Bean. Oh, Man Like Bean's great. Yeah. Which, like, I, don't know, yeah. I don't know if anyone's talking about it as being particularly clever or cool, oh, but no, it's, it's one of the funniest. Yeah. Th yeah. There's an episode of that. that is, there was a joke in there that went viral, and I feel like it, to kill something is to like quote a joke out of context. But like I remember seeing the episode and thinking like there was the funniest thing, I, dying laughing. And the, like, the, I think his mate, he brings his, uh, they're all, they're all uh, like young Muslims, and he brings his mate to a church service, and uh, there's some, somebody's got a condom or something, and he goes, what do they call the imam? And he's like, father. And he gets with dad, 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 he's got a condom. And it's just, yeah, it, 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 it's just uh, the context of it. It's just, uh, yeah. And, and so I, I like things that are funny, like at the minute, yeah. I'm really, uh, I, I loved Rick and Morty, I, I, a cartoon, mm, yeah. but um, I got quite sick of it. Um, it. It's gross. Like it's really gross. Like that, that, that Morty like thing is quite, you can't watch it. Similarly, like actually, if I've rewatched, when I was a kid, I used to watch 40 Towers all the time. I used to rewatch it, rewatch it. Now when I watch it, I can't just binge it because I now know what it is to be having 
a nervous like, yes, where you have yes. where you have a it's nervous disposition. Yeah, so, yeah, you yeah, like yeah. that this is a guy who is about to crack. Yeah, absolutely. And I find yeah. that quite panic inducing. Yes, I know what you mean. Yeah. You watch yeah. it and you're like, this is not a well man. Like yeah. I can't watch this. Yeah, the one where he's in hospital, where Basil's in hospital, have it with the kind yes. of, yeah, is is really dark. Uh, 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 yeah, and when uh, just the final episode, the final episode yeah. where he starts screaming and battering the car, <laughs> and finally there's some catharsis because you're like, okay, he's but he needed to do yeah, that yeah. for like four or five hours. Um Have you ever watched Forty Towers, James? Are you kidding? I have seen Forty Towers more than oh, yeah, all of you oh, yeah, put yeah, you together. Oh, yeah, sorry. And I promise you that because I used to go to sleep watching it. Oh, literally yeah, so every night. I. I used to put on the videotape and I used to go to sleep with oh, it on yeah. every night. Sorry, I forgot about that. I'd, at uni, I'd, I'd put it on and fall asleep too. Yeah. It's, it's comforting to have sort of like sort of 70s era racism pumped you. into your ears oh, yeah. as you go to sleep. Well, the ones I had all had that bleeped out. So I found that on Netflix. <laughs> I didn't know there was, because I had like the videos way back when and they I think in the 90s they didn't have that. Oh, wow. No, I had the. It went from, no, this is racist, we can't have it, to like, oh, excuse me, we can't censor history. Racism is woke in a way. Um, uh, attitude now. Like, actually, if we show the children the N-word, they'll learn not to use it. And you're like, okay, cool. Uh, yeah, so yeah, now it's all over Netflix. Yeah, yeah. Amazing. Well, we do have to let you go because you have somewhere else to be. We've actually managed to, and I can't emphasize this enough, not actually start the podcast in an hour and a half, yeah. which even for us is actually a record. So thank you, Sophie, for, for sorry, that. Sorry, that, that's, that's sorry. That's great. No, it's been fantastic to have you on. Really nice time. Don't we shall go. we shall have you back for Beth watches all of Star Trek Voyager at some point uh, <laughs> later on, I can which really will be fun. Then. <laughs> and I just go, I've not seen it either. So. <laughs> <laughs> thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. We will see you soon. Yeah, thank you. Okay, that was the excellent Sophie Petzl. We are now like a feature length movie into the podcast <laughs> and it occurs of course we haven't started the podcast but it's all good it's all good because we can start it now uh let's try and do this at speed shall we people um what uh what have you been watching uh, i just need to mention i know i know you're you're under great duress i love listening to you you're, you you can hear, feel the tension in your voice let's remind ourselves by the way that some of those empire podcasts go on for literally five hours so, um, yes. let's not crucially though boys I don't have to edit that so. oh okay alright alright I just wanted to mention there is a TV proper TV phenomenon that's happening I think um, like a word of mouth TV phenomenon on the Netflix that does happen from time to time and it, we're definitely in the middle of one, of one right now loads of people tweeted us me about Squid Game which mm. is this yeah. um, Korean TV series on Netflix. It dropped, I think, about two weeks ago, maybe. Um, and as is tradition with a lot of these things, we didn't get to see it in advance. We didn't know. But it's inc- I've watched, so I watched um, three episodes so far, and it is absolutely extraordinary <sighs> in every way. It's the basic premise, quickly, is that loads of really struggling, poor, exploited, borderline some of the borderline criminal desperate people are brought together by a mysterious organization that wears masks and uniform and you don't know know who they are where they are where they're based these people are persuaded we we, we focus on a few characters but basically a couple of hundred people are persuaded in their desperation financial desperation to go to a play a mystery place they're blindfolded gas put in in, in vans taken to this mystery place it ends up they're going to be part of a massive lavish game a series of games based on traditional children's games which is where the squid game name comes from and they're going to take part and if they and in the middle of the game if they cheat or lose or whatever they get killed 
So there's like mass Gosh. violence going on. Um, it's not for the squeamish. The violence is it's ultra violent. It's wow. also really grim and bleak, James. So I warn you now. It's the kind of thing that <laughs> you would absolutely want to watch because it's it's kind of spectacularly. Um, there's a kind of like sci-fi-ish element to it. But it's really grim and bleak. The stuff about how how these people are so desperate and the situations, as the more we find out about their desperation, their families, and why they're you know that why they're pushed this far, is is really quite bleak. Um, but at the same time, it's it's phenomenally entertaining and weird. And tonally, it did remind me a bit of like Bong Joon Ho stuff. Like there's a bit of a parasite. There's a lot of stuff about class mm. and exploitation, yeah. and just and we and the characters being quite. Um, ex- in extreme situations, and the characters are quite extreme as well. It is, but none. It's really difficult to emphasize how completely spectacularly batshit it is, and it gets more <laughs> batshit as it goes on, as you see more of the the games and more of the ultra violence and more of the hideous um, <laughs> extremes that these people are forced to go to. So yeah, Squid Game. It's on Netflix. It is fucking incredible. I'm definitely gonna and spectacularly beautifully filmed. By the way, I mean it's like the whole thing, brilliantly directed. Huang Dong Hyuk, I hope I'm pronouncing his name, wrote and directed it. Uh, nine hours, nine episodes, and it's already. I think it's already been commissioned for a second season as well. Amazing, yeah. I've seen a lot of that on on the tweets, so I'm gonna check that out now. My yeah. uh, Star yeah. Trek homework's been cleared. I'll there you go. go yeah. To, uh, now you've got a window. Yeah. yeah, and I haven't even mentioned Bake Off. <laughs> <laughs> no i'll save all mine for, for next week that's fine all right well the only thing i want to mention that i watched was the many saints of newark which obviously mm. is a movie film which i saw in an actual cinema <laughs> however since it is a sopranos prequel it is of course fair game um but i enjoyed it it's a really strange thing but have you, have you seen it no i really want to see it yeah i, could, I didn't make, make it you, you? i haven't seen it yet sopranos no. diehard fan but yeah i haven't seen it yet mm. yeah it, it's it's Clearly not aimed at people, clearly not aimed at people who have not seen the TV show. Uh, and obviously, The Sopranos has been off the air for quite a while. So it's a stri- slightly strange proposition to release this, you know, two hour and 20 minute film, which means absolutely nothing to a lot of people who haven't seen it. And that said, you know, it, and also on, it's a very David Chase piece of storytelling. It's very unconventional. Like it sort of wrong foots you quite a lot. But it's hard to see how much of it is intentional to my mind and how much of it is sort of accidental in that it doesn't quite know what it wants to be. Mm. Um, because it's like it's been marketed as a Tony Soprano origin movie, and yet it, that's not what this film is. And mm. then towards the latter part of the film, it decides actually that is what it wants to be, <laughs> and it tries to become that, and that's not how it began. Yeah. So it's a really, very strange thing. I think what people will maybe get a kick out of, though, is the very familiar and yet mannered performances. So obviously, you know, Michael Gandolfini looks just like his dad, sounds just like his dad. It's fucking weird, but also really awesome. Like him as young Tony is fantastic yeah. for what little he's actually in the film. But it's seeing people like Corey Stoll as like as junior soprano, again, really capturing the mannerisms of it. Billy Magnuson, who plays Paulie Walnuts, again, really, really mannered. But more than all of that, like, you know, like, so Silvio, is the most caricatured character in The Sopranos, right? Like, he's just, he's so mm. over the top. I mean, he's so mannered. And then John Magaro, who plays him in this, does his very best <laughs> to do Steve Van Zandt doing Silvio. And it feels like a Saturday Night Live sketch. That's the only problem with it. Like, it really, really does. And so I think I struggle with that a little bit. But actually, once you get past that, there's something glorious about seeing these characters in their element in a time 
before we knew them. Like Tony's a boy, and obviously these guys, like Silvio, probably will end up working for him. Mm. Uh, and he's still at school, and they're hanging around with his dad. And it's just, it's it's a it's a really nice look at that world. That kind of, I think it deepens the Sopranos. And I talked about this a bit on the Empire podcast that prequels can often they prequels can often ruin a property like Star Wars prequels because they can like the Star Wars prequels which completely kind of ruined Darth Vader like the worry for this is that it would in some way you know tarnish our memory of the characters and actually I think what this succeeds in is it doesn't it enhances them like you yeah. actually feel more affection towards these characters from having seen this this film so it's not a perfect film by any means and if you haven't seen Sopranos just stay the fuck away from it not least of all <laughs> because it, it ruins one of the biggest twists of the Sopranos in the first two minutes oh, for God's which sake. is ridiculous because there's, there's a genuinely I think terrible framing device they use for this film <sighs> and that's the one uh, major criticism I, I have of it I hate a terrible framing device yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. it's 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 no, like I Michael Imperioli weird. is the framing device. Yeah, oh, um, okay, yeah, yeah. Um, I find it weird. First of all, I love the fact that you've uh, talked at length about film on the on the, the Pirates of <laughs> podcast. Yeah, well, we have so little yeah. time today. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but also, it's weird how little um, like there were hardly any screenings of it. Like it was really difficult to. They really made it hard to. Well, I, to watch I went this film. like a punter. Oh, did yeah. you? Oh, I went and saw it after right. it. Yeah, yeah. it like came out screening. and I went to the cinema and saw yeah. it. <laughs> right, oh, okay. God, unbelievable. Yeah, um, because, it, I mean, I, yeah, as you say, I, they, I, didn't, they didn't screen it much. Yeah, it's. I think it, it's feel, it feels really odd, the whole way it has been, I don't know, not marketed or they're scared mm. about the reaction to it. I guess people say, do not watch it if you're not a Sopranos fan. Like, you just have is exactly what they're scared yeah. of. But now Perhaps that's it. what they want to avoid. <laughs> but watching it, the thing that stuck in my mind is, I'm enjoying this two-and-a-half-hour film. What I really wanted was a 10-hour HBO miniseries, like a prequel miniseries. And well, I feel I like think, they totally could have done that. I think a lot of people are saying this is the this is the, the precursor to that, aren't they? I think I think it's a general, oh, it's a general feeling. Oh, do you think so? Yeah, I've seen a lot of speculation that about that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Maybe. why not? Well, yeah. that, that, that would be interesting. Mm. That would be interesting. Yeah. yeah. Well, we'll see. Uh, well, anyway, that is what I have watched this week. And since we are attempting to do things at speed, let's not talk about any more films. Uh, <laughs> let us skip straight in to this week's second guest. You will know as Thranduil the Elf from the Hobbit movies, for, as the pie maker from Pushing Daisies, and Ronan the Accuser from the MCU. Uh, this week, however, he plays Brother Day, the middle throne in the genetic dynasty at the heart of Apple's foundation. It occurs to me, actually, when I did our, my sort of, oh, aren't I funny, Brother Dusk, Sister Dawn intro, no one who hasn't seen Foundation will know what the fuck I'm talking about, but I mean, that's fair about most of the things I say, so it's all good. I was just um, going to say. <laughs> but yes, as Emperor Cleon Lipes rules the galaxy alongside two clones of himself a format i am very seriously considering for subsequent episodes of this podcast um <laughs> i was granted an audience with empire as he is known on the show and that is the preferred honorific uh, over video chat last week when i hadn't quite seen all the episodes uh but i enjoyed it enormously i was geeking out a lot and this is what happened lee welcome to the show and i have to say so I've been banging on about the show pretty much since it was announced, uh, and it has very much lived up to expectations. Um, it doesn't mess about, though, uh, and I think it's rare that you see this kind of full-on hard sci-fi. Uh, and I think Asimov's Foundation is notoriously dense, you know, as a series. Did the complexity of the story give you any pause coming into this, or was that, you know, actually part of the appeal of it? No, I'm here for that. I'm a big sci-fi fan. I would uh, actually you know, specify that I'm an SF fan. I, I really appreciate the vein of sci-fi that is speculative fiction that looks at what humans are when they're off planet. Yeah. Um, and uh, I I had read Foundation about a year before I heard that, that Skydance was working on the series. And I talked to my friend Bill and I was like, there's 
there's no way they're going to pull this off. There's no way you're going to be able to make this thing. It's too big. The ideas are too um, complex. You know, there's there's to, in a dramatic form. How do you tell a story of a thousand years, the fall of mankind, and how they rise? It, it, it's too much. It's too much. Um, and then about a year and a half later, they they approached me about playing Cleon. And I read the first three scripts and I was like, David Coyer cracked it. He figured it out. Mm -hmm. He was, you know, he was able to dramatically, emotionally find a way into telling this story by creating characters who, you know, cheat death. Yeah. in various ways move can move through a large expanse of time um how many episodes have you seen i have seen eight so far i'm desperately awaiting oh. the last two. <laughs> oh, i can't wait you're gonna you're gonna it's gonna blow your mind oh I'm, my mind is already well and truly blown i'm absolutely obsessed with this series i've been refreshing the screener site pretty much daily to find the uh the next ones oh cool you're absolutely right like it's because Asimov's all about ideas, isn't he? He's not a characters guy, he's an ideas guy. And the ideas are there, but I guess that doesn't really translate. And I think what what the guys did when they adapted this, exactly as you say, they found characters that you can root for. And I think of all the choices they made in adapting this, the one I have to say just blew my mind the most was his vision for Cleon. Um, you know, yeah. for those who are listening, haven't seen the show, obviously it's set 25,000 years in the future. Galactic Empire, founded by Emperor Cleon I, who decided that succession clearly is a very problematic thing that he doesn't want anything to do with, uh, and that he should rule in perpetuity, which is essentially where you come in mm-hmm. uh, as one third of the triple throne um i mean having read the book like when he pitched that idea to you the idea of brother dawn brother day brother dusk like (laughs) were you just like you're a crazy genius what on earth is this well it's a riddle isn't it yeah it becomes a riddle it becomes a riddle of inherited power you know this kind of bizarre symbolic living riddle what does that mean Mm. You know, and one of the things that I, because I, I am an actor that I kind of related to was it is the emperor of the galaxy is a role that many men will fill and I'll play all of them. Mm. It is a role that they, that these clones are trained through their whole childhood. They, they learn the lines. They learn the blocking. They understand the character's motivations. They understand the props, the tools, the costumes. And then when they come of age, they inherit the role. And they play it for a time. And then they sit off in the wings and watch their their brother play the role. And it, it, it's, as though, uh, it's as though they're of two minds in a way. Because the, the fantasy around them is that not only do they have you know, absolute power and control. They can can decide who lives or dies. They decide who prospers and who, and who falters. They decide they've got technology that we can only dream of, of surveillance, of information, of, um, of travel with the FTL jump ships. Um, but they have no friends. They have no, they have no family other than each other. Um, and that whole, uh, idea of power and control is really a fantasy, isn't it? It's an abstract. What's real is that they are flesh and blood humans 
And I believe that in in this first series, I think, you know, do you, are you ever of two minds about something? You know, it's like in one mind, you know, you you you're you're um, conditioned to believe one thing, you know, but then there's a part of you inside that thinks that feels your way through something that is the actual opposite of that. That's the story of these Cleons, right? So although they believe that they are the same man. They're not. Here's you've got like, you know, all of the days look towards the dusks and think, I'm going to do this better than you did. You know, where you where you made mistakes, I will be great. Mm. I will distinguish myself. People will remember me as, uh, you know, a special Cleon on the, in this line of clones. You know, I think that's that's the interesting riddle of the inherited power in that story we're trying to tell um i think at the heart of foundation is multifaceted concept of change and how people respond to the principle of change um the side of the argument that we that we tell is resisting it at all costs <laughs> trying to hold on to an imperishable permanence for for i believe what they the good of the galaxy yeah, yeah. you know because the galaxy has never known a time of such prosperity st- stability growth and they believe if they're able to freeze that moment in time that um they will be fulfilling their their role yeah but you can't you can't fight change that's 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 i think what what harry selden is able to communicate to them and once they're convinced that he's right they have to start improvising and then i think you see how they individuate yeah but that's fascinating isn't it the idea that the different days that you play are fundamentally different and their experiences are different and there's a wonderful moment where you're speaking to brother dusk and you're essentially castigating him for something that you did in the previous episode uh and did you shoot in sequence like or did was it like i am this is day one this is day two how do you sort of delineate between the different personalities. Well, I'm very lucky to have Terrence Mann, Cassian Bilton, and, and Cooper Carter to play this character yeah. with. Um, I, I went to drama school, and the idea of, like, working on mirror exercises <laughs> and, um, and like, a physical approach to the character is, I love that kind of thing. And, yeah. and Terry was so down for that as well. So... One of the first ways into kind of working on the character was, you know, finding ways that we mirror each other. What kind of gestures do they do? What is the pacing of lifting the glass to the lips? And in that exercise of watching and mirroring, we found kind of a reality inside the Cleons. That's how they connect to each other is by watching and trying to mirror, you know? Um, So... It was a it was a useful kind of character idea. I mean, it is pretty much a unique proposition, you know, as an actor to do this. Sort of like, here yeah, we're going to take this character, we're going to give you a thousand years, and you can play all these different iterations of this character as he goes through yeah. life. Um, I, w- I will say, and not to denigrate your fantastic Met Gala outfit the other day, props for that, but your costume in I... this is extraordinary. I love the kind of beetle blue armor robes that uh, that you get to wear in this. I mean, it, does does that help you get into character? I oh yeah, it is. It's not the most comfortable costume <laughs> I wore, but. 
but 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 again, it's like there's the outward face of empire, yeah, and that shouldn't be a comfortable place. Inside, I'm basically wearing really nice sweats. Yeah. You know, he's, <laughs> he's not dressing yeah. for anyone. He just is kind of comfortable and and um, ruling the galaxy. Can I say something that I love about that costume? That was also kind of um, a great you know, a little tiny bit of inspiration is that Curtin Bart, who designed that costume, showed me that their idea for that, the armor, yeah. that kind of blue, is this um, very old piece of Roman glass that this opaque, you know, like very fragile, tiny bottle mm. that um, it was a picture that's in a museum and it just looked impossibly fragile. And the fact that it had survived all of these years is kind of what makes it so exquisite. And so they that they, they, they took that as the inspiration for this armor, I think says everything about yeah. the Cleons. Because look, we have to believe that there is something to Harry Seldon's, you know, um, calculations. Yeah. I think we on the Cleons <laughs> we believe him, you know. Yeah. They don't want to, but they do. Yeah. And we're going to fight like hell to stop it from, from happening. Yeah. And, and they're tough. But um, I think one of the, the pleasures of this show is going to be watching them suffer. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Over an incredibly long period of time. Because they are, I mean, they are ruthless. They're brutal. And also very, very cunning. I mean, we mentioned the costumes. You, you get to spend one episode pretty much entirely in a loincloth. Uh, that must have been quite the, uh, <laughs> quite the week's filming. It was. We shot that in the Canary Islands. It was, uh, I, when David pitched me what that episode was, I was like, okay, I'll start getting ready for that. <laughs> <laughs> like that's that's gonna be that's gonna be a good one but um yeah it did that in that episode you know what a what a um feast for an actor yeah to kind of play that kind of emotional trial you know and you're right cunning clever 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 i think about him as like a a two-strike hitter when he's when his back is again he's kind of lazy actually <laughs> in life really he's actually a pretty lazy little lion um but when his back is against the wall is when i think you see that that force of person mm. come through and I, I i believe you know in a way and I'm going to say something after this. In a way, one of Cleon's curses is that he's, he can't lose. He can't. He won't. You'll never beat him. He'll, he'll always dominate, you know? And I want to say that with the caveat that I, you know, I approach these interviews. I'm so interested in all this stuff that I'll blab and blab and blab. <laughs> but it's, it is, <laughs> but I, but I very much, I, I wish I would just shut my mouth sometimes because I want the audience to have the opportunity to come to this stuff with the clean slate that I came to it with so that they can, you know, um, draw their own conclusions about, you know, what power means, what math is worth, what can math quantify? It can quantify the minutes, but does it really create a, an accurate um, record of the change that those minutes, you know, what, what does spirit answer? So I think our show really is an investigation. It doesn't offer conclusions. It offers an investigation into what is a human Really, where does the soul exist? Whether you're looking at the story of Gale 
or Harry Selden or Demerzel or, you know, Cleon or Salvor Harden. You're looking at like a human in the wild. You know, there's nothing wilder than space, really. <laughs> I must say, before I let you go, I probably have time for one last question. And, and I have to ask you this. I'm a huge fan of Pushing Daisies, which was just a magnificent oh. show. And even now, I think 12 years on, there's been nothing even remotely like it. I just wondered, you know, do you still have fond memories of making that show? I do. You know, I in um, during quarantine, we watched i watched it again and i hadn't yeah. really seen it since we had it was on air um and with the you know remove of time i got to kind of watch it as an audience and it just it was emotional in a way yeah. to kind of see anna friel again um to hear that music to see the pie hole to see some of those insane costumes <laughs> of the dead bodies and whatnot um I, I, it was such a privilege to be a part of that show, and I'll, uh, I feel, I will forever feel lucky for it. And, I'm, and how lucky that so many people have recently discovered it again. 100%, so. Yeah, uh, I know Brian Fuller's talked a lot about trying to revive it in some fashion. I think he mentioned a Broadway show at one point. Uh, I would love to see that happen. So <laughs> we'll see, we'll see. I'm, you know, Ned is a wonderful character to play. Couldn't be more different than Cleon. Yeah, yeah. Pretty, pretty worlds apart, I would say. Worlds apart. Well, Lee, thanks very much for joining us. It's much appreciated. Thank you very much for having me, and I hope you enjoy the rest of the season. I cannot wait. Absolutely cannot wait. Sweet, sweet. That was Lee Pace, and now on to news, which we're going to attempt to cover in record time, because this podcast, much like Foundation, has already taken place over the course of a thousand years. So uh, let's talk about... Let the Right One In is getting, has got a series order at Showtime. Did anyone have feelings about this oh yeah i mean love the original hated the american remake imagine this will be a little bit in between the two but with the right creatives and the right money behind it i think it'd be all right excellent i agree let's move on so there was a trailer for (laughs) apple's invasion it looked good i was into it right next thing Catherine hahn is going to play joan rivers boy this must blow your mind very excited yeah yeah um i'm incredibly excited about a joan rivers um series the comeback girl yeah. is called showtime Catherine Hahn, perfect casting it's gonna be amazing there yeah. bring it on excellent the wheel of time has recast a major character matrim cawthon who's one of the core characters in that uh is gonna have a different actor donald finn is gonna be playing him for season two because barney harris will not be coming back i do not know what happened there i am fascinated to find out i can only assume he accidentally seized sidine and was driven mad by the taint on the true source but you know who really knows anyway let's move on uh neil Druckmann, who was the director of the last of us video games uh co-director on the first one sole director on the second one is going to be directing episodes of the last of us tv series i'm very excited he was a consultant i think uh initially on the show but he's clearly getting much more hands-on he did an excellent job with the games so i am on board with it next disney's obi-wan <laughs> kenobi series has wrapped you and mcgregor told us so great stuff well done may the force be with you and that's it for news let's move on now to this week's you're such a fascist i mean it's all very well being yeah that's the news yeah some of those news stories were less interesting yeah sean bean nicola walker sean bean nicola walker together in stefan golachevsky of mum and him and her fame's new series called marriage on bbc one that's all you need to know. Great. Uh, and um, the star gets confirmed for the Inside Number 9 Series 7 
Daniel Mays, Jason Isaacs, Sophie Okanedo, Jessica Hines, Diane Morgan, Daisy Haggard. Absolutely okay, phenomenal. Cool. Um, phenomenal. A slightly somber, maybe a little bit longer moment for Willie Garson, who we lost this week, who was mm-hmm. Stanford Blatch in the wonderful Sex in the City, um, lost very, very young. I think he was 59 to cancer um, and had started filming the spin-off. Um, and just like that, so I'm sure we'll mm-hmm. see something very sweet done in his uh, honor for that. But I love Sex in the City. I love Stanford. I think he bought more dimension to the trope of the gay best friend um did some really admirable work there wore some wacky ass shirts um yeah very sad very sad that he's gone okay well we wanted to get news done quickly but clearly that's all gone to shit because it is now first thing monday morning and stuff has happened so we're having to do a special drop-in news addendum because frankly this podcast wasn't long enough already so (laughs) beth Why don't you kick us off? Something happened, first of all, on Friday, didn't it? Yeah. So, in uh, massive news, massive, massive, exciting, wonderful news, uh, it was announced that Russell T. Davis is returning to Doctor Who as showrunner as of next year. So, we've got one more series left with Jodie Whittaker uh, as the brilliant Doctor, and then uh, she's off, as is uh, Chris uh, Chibnall, and then uh, we've got Russell T. Davis back, back in business, baby. Uh, with what will hopefully be an exciting new doctor as well. So this is this is all very very exciting. I was very much enjoying the tweets between Boyd and Terry when this news dropped. <laughs> we'll all remember, won't we, James? We'll all remember where we were on um, the three fifteen on Saturday, the wherever it was, Friday, in fact, wherever it was of September um, when the announcement was made. Yeah, I mean it was. It's one of the historic. It's one of the. Let's not let's not underestimate just how historic and fantastic. In fact, I so I tweeted saying it was the greatest news ever, and someone wrote. You a, did. Someone. This guy wrote a, a really well written, I have to say, blog um, a few hours later about why it's such good news, and he quoted me in in a quite in a little in a little kind of you know dig at me saying obviously I was exaggerating for comic effect, but having said that, I mean barely. I mean, be- there's barely anything. I can't think of anything that could be more exciting, really. Then Russell T. Davis returning to Doctor Who. Aaron Sorkin of- writing The Witcher season three. Oh yeah, right. Well, that's, yeah, that's your equivalent. But for me, that would not be as exciting. But that, yeah, imagine that, right. Um, so it's just the greatest news ever. And I think it's because, it's just because for Doctor Who fans, he transformed, him bringing the show back transformed it magnificently. And yeah. his, no one knows TV drama or TV writing better than Russell T. Davis. That's a simple fact. And no one knows <laughs> no one knows the way that television worked in the streaming era than Russell as well. So it's like every he's getting his time again. It's people saying, Oh, you shouldn't go back, but it's not a case of that. It's really he's getting to work on his favorite show and to be in charge of his favorite show in this era of streaming. And I think the most significant, well, the second most significant element of the whole announcement was that the independent production company Bad Wolf, which was formed by his associates, people who produced Doctor Who in his era, Julie Gardner, etc., that they are making the show instead of just BBC, the BBC. And I think that means potentially that they tapping, they're going to tap into co-productions. Who knows? You know, bigger budgets. His whole thing. You know, when I interviewed him for Empire, I tweeted about this. Um, you know, he said he said that he did Doctor Who ten years too early. Because it, he did it before this, go- this uh, as we call it, this golden age of TV. And he's like, imagine doing it, you know, in a kind of Stranger Things type budget. 
Um, and that's, I think, I don't think, I don't think, I, I can't imagine we're going to get that level of budget, you know, because the Netflix, uh, unless Netflix comes in as a cover, who knows anything about see further announcements. But I just think he knows how to do this show um, and make it as thrilling and exciting as it possibly can be. And that love of, of it will come from him and in everything that he does. And I, the other, of course, massive thing is that he will be, in very much in charge of that process of finding the new doctor. I'm sure he that he knows who he wants it to be now. And it's gonna be great. There's no way that Russell T. Davis is gonna allow the choice of the next doctor to be in any way boring, you know, disappointing, predictable, whatever. He is gonna ensure that this is gonna be a whoever the fuck it is, it's going to be a, a spectacular choice. Because just in terms of he has the best taste. You know, we've had him on the podcast. We know, you know, he, he just he knows what makes good TV and what makes bad TV. And so I'm fully on board in every single way. I cannot wait. It's the most exciting thing ever. <laughs> Have I made that clear, James? I, I, I'm getting that impression. I'm getting that impression. Wade is vibrating right now with just like... Yeah, yeah I could not be. When I saw that, when that email arrived in my inbox from the BBC saying it was embargoed for, for only like 15 minutes, you know, we'll have to wait. I was like, you know, right. 15 minutes to compose this tweet. I could not fucking believe Because I, I kind of had... You know, I've spoken to Russell, you know, and you kind of get the, you know, he never said he would never go back and do it, for example, which I think is very revealing. You know, when I when, when we did that interview, he was like talking about, you know, some of, you know, the things he couldn't do. So, but it's still an incredible, unbelievable surprise, joyous surprise. Do you have any, uh, do you have any inclination as to who it could be, the next well, Doctor? the next Doctor, I mean. Is it going to be Terry? <laughs> Yeah, it's going to be terrible. I only yeah. asked because Bad yeah. Wolf, of course, are adapting yeah. Uh, yeah. Terry's memoir. So yeah. maybe I'm there's sure. some crossover yeah. here. Sure, Could she's on the list. Could you imagine if they, those doors no. open, yeah. the smoke comes out and through yeah. it yeah. comes I mean, Terry White. In all, in all seriousness, I think he did say at one point that some event, you know, Ollie Alexander could be the doctor. You know, I mean, he, I think he, I'm pretty sure, I may, if I'm wrong, I'm sorry, but. He, you know, he worked with Ollie Alexander in Sassin, who's a revelation. Um, I know he loves him. And, you know, I mean, he's got the, I think he, I think Ollie Alexander's got the kind of charisma and the joy, you know, talking of joy, to, to be a doc, to be the doctor. I mean, for years he's talked about Russell Tovey, you know, once, I think he actually did want Russell Tovey at, the, at one point, you know, um, to yeah. be the doctor. I don't know whether Russell, it's something Russell would consider because he's got a massive career, you know, in just doing his art podcast. He's got, he has, he's got an amazing, choice i'm sure of um of things to do stuff to do in his life but it must be tempting having said that if if, if russell did want that but they, but he may completely surprise us he loves surprising us russell so he may have someone completely he would never think of in a million years to do it um he may want to have another woman you know uh, to do it um so yeah i don't know genuinely don't know i have no i have no um in but i know it'll be a great decision whoever it is joe martin you know the 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 surprise doctor in the last series one of the best things that Chris Chibnall did in his reign, you know, before it comes to an end next year, is bringing Joe Martin as the this mysterious new other Doctor, and she's brilliant, and I love her. So she's a possibility, I'm sure. Um, but yeah, I, I think I think it's very exciting. James is like eyes are like glazing. Over. Part of the fact he's not feeling very well. He's not, not a Vivian. I'm not. I'm not well. So I've, we come back to do this drop in, and I sound a bit like Geralt of Rivia. In fact, I yeah. sound a bit like Geralt of Rivia yeah. if he sang for the national. You know, uh, so which is appropriate because we're going to get onto the. Yeah, well, I was going to say, on the plus side, I, f I think I've finished now on Doctor Who, so we can at least talk about your... There was loads of Witcher shit. There was Witcher news, which I'm more here for. And I should say, I should clarify, my interest in Doctor Who, as you know, is minimal. However, I am a big fan of the Notorious RTD, so I'm, I'm very excited that he's going to be doing this. And I will 100% watch some of it. I'm just not 
I'm not a Hoovian. <laughs> I can't pretend to be one. I mean, don't go too far. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I love Russell. And I think Russell is an incredible storyteller. So I'm and, yeah. I, and I'm thrilled for your people, Boyd. That Thanks. you know, Russell, the the great originator of the, is coming back. Like I understand this is the second coming for Doctor yeah. Who geeks, yeah. and I'm yeah. here for it. I love Good. geeks of every coloured anorak. So um, you know, <laughs> great. I'm pleased for you and your people. Thanks. <laughs> but Thanks, my man. people, meanwhile, were very excited about Tadum, which was obviously Netflix's big event, which happened over the weekend. And let's be honest, a lot fucking happened. Uh, there was a lot of Witcher news. We saw Witcher clips. Uh, there's going to be another anime series to go with Nightmare of the Wolf, which I really enjoyed. Uh, now, there's going to be uh, a child-friendly Witcher series. I've got to be honest with you, that's a weird thing to do. And not just because I'm not on board with the whole Star Trek for kids thing. I think, fine, Star Trek for kids can be an entry drug into proper Star Trek, which is not inappropriate for kids. The Witcher is wildly inappropriate for kids. So I'm not sure what you get from giving kids an entryway into this universe, which is all blood and boobs and beasts. And it's just like, oh my really? God. Do we want them watching this and they're it's- saying, Mummy, Mummy, can I watch the main series? No, you fucking can't. Like, oh, no. Too just early like- in the day for you to say blood. <laughs> it is it is a big ball of wrong and and we saw we saw nothing of the witcher blood origin though i very much enjoyed the showrunner's incredibly deadpan delivery of all the kind of wind up gags about what the series is it's going to be set entirely underwater and we're breeding monsters so we don't have to use cgi that was funny i, I was quite on board for that so yes enjoyed a lot of the uh the witcher reveal stuff at Tadum. but actually the things that excited me most were i have to say the footage we saw of the sandman um yes. which looks amazing and everything i no pun intended dreamed it would be uh I, yeah i'm i'm very very excited about this series i thought tom storage looked fantastic as Morpheus. Um, we found out that Cobra Kai is going to be coming back before we got a date for season four. Uh, I should have written it down. I can't remember what it is. Boy, do you remember what it was? Uh, no. <laughs> no. No. Okay. No. We got Sorry. a date for season four, but you'll have to Google it because I don't remember what it is. Sorry. Uh, what else have we got? We got uh, a trailer for Stranger Things 4 uh, where you know Finn Wolfhard has a backpack with a Ghostbusters badge on it because lols he's in Ghostbusters Uh, I like the fact that all the kids come in and they're all in the mid 40s now that was unexpected Um, so that's nice there's a weird sort of haunted house strange sort of like era hopping vibe going on yeah, Yeah. yeah yeah So uh, yeah, that's Brady interesting. Krug what do you think of that? the cast, which is pretty exciting. We've got mm. Robert um, Englund coming in as Victor Creel. That's right. Um, because yeah, it looks like we're splintering off into the into the fifties now as well. Because there's just not enough nostalgic <laughs> shit happening in the show. We're now jumping back to another era. Well, um, again, given how much they've aged, surely we're in the 90s now anyway. We can't still be in the 80s. Again, it's another one, isn't it? Where there's like, they're going to have to do something. They're going to have to do a time jump or something. They can't They can't keep shoving them into like gap kids for much longer, can they really? Um, but no, yeah, it looks like not. they've done. You've missed out the main announcement. I can't believe you missed out the main announcement, James. All right, go on, hit me with it, Boyd. Sex education. Really? Oh, yes. Well, yeah, but yeah. was that ever in doubt? Did we well, think I sex mean, education no. won't be back for a full season? I, you no. know, I wasn't even sure that was announced. But I thought, didn't we already know this? I just assumed I it was coming we, back. You, we assumed, we assumed, but never assume <laughs> because, but yeah, you're right. Of course, it would have been absolute insanity. Yeah, it's like Netflix's best show. It's like, <laughs> is of course, but they still confirmed it and they still had a they little, did. Made a little video, video, fun video, and it was they did a very really yeah. short little yeah. video. Yeah, so that was nice. So, yeah. Uh, we got a first look at the fourth and final season of Ozark as well. Yeah. Uh, there was a little bit of Casa de Papel in there for you, Boyd. Yeah, always. 
Can't go wrong with Casa de Papel. What else happened? I'm scanning down the list of announcements. We had Bridgerton. We had a new look at second oh, yes. season Bridgerton, which has got one of Sex Education's kind of secondary cast members. Simone Ashley is, uh, looks like she's going to be a main love interest in the new season. She's yeah, very... that was, she's great. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. She, um, she did a lot with a smaller part, I think, in that show. And now she's kind of zipped off to run circles around. I've forgotten his name. The, the one who's the lead this time, who was, um, Oh, I'm not doing my job here, am I? The the one who's the brother to the main one in the first yeah, season. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, he's the main character. And it looks yeah. like she's yeah, she's been brought in to kind of run circles around him and probably do a lot of hot steamy stuff. Speaking of hot steamy stuff, uh, Vikings Valhalla. Obviously, Vikings now having made the jump to Netflix for this spin-off series, uh, we saw our first and a first glimpse of that. And frankly, it looked like everything I want from a Viking series, which is lots of Vikings yelling and stabbing each other with sharp bits of metal. So that's that's lovely. Fantastic. A yeah. uh, little bit of Emily in Paris. Boyd, were you excited about that? <laughs> no, but thanks. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Absolutely I not. Mean, you know, I didn't mind that. I, 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 you know, it was mild fun. Yeah. But um, you know what did happen to me yesterday, though? This is this is news. I'm just throwing this in. This is um, this is Netflix I know related exactly news. Where this is going. I brief. Do you? Yeah. <laughs> I briefly met. I, I I did an event with Ricky Gervais yesterday for Afterlife. Yeah, there he is. In, yeah, but. <laughs> Backstage, I very briefly met Reed Hastings. Do you know who Reed Hastings is? He's literally the, one of the most powerful people in the world. He is the supreme co-founder, chairman, and CEO of Netflix itself. Netflix, yeah. He literally runs that shit. He's the um, one that said um, Netflix's biggest rival is sleep, wasn't he? Or, yeah. or Netflix's biggest <laughs> yeah. competitor is yeah. sleep. Yeah. He, his net worth is $5.7 billion. Yeah. Dollars. I'm just looking at, and uh, there he was milling around backstage at this in the green room at this uh, at the event I did with Richard Chavez. Yeah, I'm waiting so. for the punchline here, where you say I spoke to him and he was a massive fan of the podcast. Taste <laughs> um, is no, but you know, I think I think we can assume that. I think we can assume okay. he is. Okay, yeah. Reed, of yeah. course, listening here. Thank you yeah. for yeah. your patronage. Hi, Reed. Yeah, <laughs> Mr. Hasty. Um, did you were you down with the crown? <laughs> did you enjoy Imelda Staunton as her Madge? Yeah, very much. Yeah, I mean, I love Imelda Staunton. Yeah, she's. Um, She's great at everything. She's, yeah, brilliant casting, as ever, yeah. We have to wait so fucking long for that, though. I mean, that seems a bit much. November next year. I mean, come on. God. Come on, Netflix. <laughs> Speed it up. <laughs> God's sake. I mean, there was yeah. a lot of stuff, but to be fair, it was like a three-hour event, and there was yeah. tons of other stuff, tons of movie stuff as well. I won't go into it all here again, because this podcast is already longer than the entire yes. Story Arc of Foundation. So uh, the last thing I do want to mention is we did see a lovely shot of Joel and Ellie from The Last of Us, which dropped over the weekend. Bella Ramsey and Pedro Pascal oh, seen yeah. from behind, which for players of the game will be a familiar shot. But oh my God, do they, again, from the back of their heads, look like their characters? Uh, I would say, uh, you know, just the outfits, the backpacks, Pedro Pascal in particular, uh, with this sort of like shirt and his jacket yeah, I was I was pretty psyched about that I think uh, that, that that probably made my weekend more than anything else but uh, <laughs> yes that was, a, that was a lovely little moment well I think we have now covered off the rest of news finally finally we're done with news oh god I can only apologise to everyone still listening to this podcast if indeed any of you are still alive we will now move on to this week's reviews first up this week is of course Foundation <laughs> the first 10 hours of what David S. Goyer hopes will be an 80 hour 
adaptation of Isaac Asimov's near impenetrable sci-fi saga. This, <laughs> as we've said, like this particular episode of the podcast, takes place over a thousand years. Uh, I will do my level best to keep at least my thoughts on this, at least marginally shorter. Uh, but before that, Let's hear what Pilot's resident sci-fi nerd, Beth Webb, uh, newly minted from having watched Star Trek. Uh, Beth, how did you fare with psychohistory? Uh, I'm definitely too stupid for this show. Like, I definitely didn't understand what was happening sometimes. Uh, but it is absolutely stunning, I have to say. They have just gone out guns blazing with this haven't they like the vistas the i mean sorry sophie about this but the world building uh, (laughs) is uh (laughs) is some of the best i've seen in an incredibly long time like it is absolutely stunning my qualm with it and this is your doing both of you because Mm. you've put me onto such emotionally rewarding episodes of star trek uh, that I felt like perhaps the emotional stakes in this show weren't quite high enough for me was my only qualm. Absolutely stunning. It's doing things of such epic proportions that I think are completely groundbreaking and I, I tip my hat for that. But for me, it just didn't, it doesn't have that kind of emotional drive that I crave. You know, Sophie's talking about the permafields, which is something I'm going to use every single day mm-hmm. <laughs> in my life. Uh, and this fell into, very much fell into the category of extraordinary talent, like uh, Lou Lobel, who is in in the lead, I guess, for this. It's obviously a very vast kind of multi age multi-world kind of story and she does very well to kind of flesh out the lead she's our kind of insider in this um lee pace is my takeaway like proper alan rickman at his best villain caliber vibes so he's wonderful in this but there was just a few moments it kind of wanders into handmaid's tale territory for me uh, at stages so there's some quite brutal like executions some real acts of like clinical cruelty but it's exactly that there's there's a real kind of cleanness and quite a you know a stillness to the cruelty that's inflicted in some of the areas of this big universe that just yeah felt a little bit too cold a little bit too distant for me so absolutely beautiful stunning wonderful um extraordinary talent involved just the emotional stakes needed to be a little bit higher for me yeah i really um i I was stunned by the spectacle i think the the um it feels like i mean i I, it feels like june level of you know having seen the film the new film there's a lot of similarities in terms of like the way it deals with massive things. So, you know, in Dune, you've got the huge, the, the worms, and you've got the ma- massive, these massive um, spaceships. And in this, similarly, you've got vast, gigantic planets and landscapes and, um, like, lifts to the sky into worlds beyond. <laughs> and it's like the world's great, most gigantic, enormous way of getting from one place to another across half the universe. And it kind of somehow manages to... Um, persuade you that all of this is, you know, is doable in in the gazillion years time in the future when it's set. However many years in the future set, so it kind of you, but you, I, I believed in it basically, and I think that's a really. Hard, I think sometimes we underestimate. I'm, I'm avoiding that phrase, but I think just underestimate <laughs> the extent to which in 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 big, huge, hard sci-fi um, to make it that you're not kind of. At one one level removed from it, and you're go, and you're kind of almost studying it, going, oh yeah, this is 
beautiful and lavish and loads of money has been spent. But I'm not convinced that it ever would. Ever, but I, I was absolutely convinced by the different worlds and by um, by the by these big ideas as well. Similarly, yeah. so there's a huge big idea. The idea that, that this mathematician um, played by Jared Harris could come has has insights into the future based on his his weird mathematical calculations and that those that in however many years time the empire will fall and all of this stuff i kind of bought into that i, th- I found that really interesting mm. and fascinating i think there is an emotional i I, fe- I wasn't too bothered about the emotional underpinning of it i think it's very clever that lula bell's character um we do i think we do identify with her she's brought in as like his kind of um his uh, prodigy Yes, yeah. and um, I kind of so I thought like she's the uh, she's the emotional way into it. I thought for me, and and that worked quite well. Um, and Lee Pace, so I think it is like there's a kind of in- inherently stately, slightly pompous quality to this level of hard, proper, hugely ambitious science fiction on a massive level. And so yeah. the fact you've got Lee Pace in the middle of this going massively over the top as <laughs> the demented empire <laughs> emperor, and I like I really like the idea that his emperor figure is split into three versions three clones yeah his version yeah. like his middle-aged version the kid version and the elderly version i thought that was brilliant yeah. which apparently isn't in the book and the fact that that no, idea right so the fact that that idea is a great great idea um which just means that the scenes between the three iterations of the this 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 fascistic ruler are really entertaining and interesting yeah. um i thought that worked so well um so i really enjoyed the first few episodes that i've watched i have to say and um my one issue is funnily enough slight spoiler alert, there's a massive terrorist act in the first episode and you're supposed you're led to believe that 100 million people have died as a result of this act right and i was like no i'm sorry 100 million people i mean it's spectacularly enormous as it is in in, in the show i did not buy that that many people had died as a result of this act. That's that's a, that's a kind well, of my- Boyd. Much as I hate to foundation explain to you, you are not taking into account the levels. So the entire planet of Trantor is a city, but it's built on. Right. So there are hundreds of levels on top of each right. other, and it crashes through all the levels. Okay. So you've got cities sort of like almost stacked on cities over and over right. above each other, and it crashes through all of them. So okay, well. <laughs> Fine. I mean, so there you go. You know, That's the reason why. It was pretty fucking massive. I'll give you that. Yeah. But like, <laughs> it I would have been happy with 10 million people dying as a result of it. You know, 100 yeah. million. Yeah. That's a fuckload of people, James, <laughs> even with all the levels. Even with the levels. But yeah, I, I, I really enjoyed it. And, and I will carry on watching it. Yeah. Let's, so, so I've seen all 10 of these now, and I loved every second of it. That actually comes as no surprise to anyone. Uh, but it did, and but not always. You remember when I saw Raised by Wolves? Like, that's 10 hours of hard oh, sci-fi. And at the end of that, better, yeah. I was hate-watching the last few of those. Oh, wow. And yeah. at the end of it, I was just bitter at the time I was never going to get back. <laughs> uh, whereas this one, I was like, give me more. Give me all 80 hours and give them to me in my face immediately <laughs> because I absolutely love this. Um, I've never read the books. I have the books, but I've never read the books. Uh, the books are very, I think, as we kind of touched on earlier, they're a bit ideas based. They're not, uh, they're not big on characterization. And because it takes place over a thousand years, the cast of characters change every five minutes. As I recall, Gail Dornick, like the main character in this, I think she's only in one chapter of the book. I could have that wrong, wow. but certainly that's what someone told me. Um, but what what I think David S. Goya has done here is an almost unprecedentedly good job of turning one thing into another so when Asimov did this he was very open about the fact that this was not designed for the screen he doesn't write for the screen he has no interest in seeing it on the screen because that's just not what he does uh, and it doesn't fit that format at all it is in its form in its written form unadaptable um but what 
what Goya's done is he's looked and thought, how can we make this into something that works on the screen? And he absolutely nailed it. And part of that was you need characters, you need people, you need to root for people, you need to love these characters. And that's not going to work if they're in one scene and then you never see them again. Mm. So he looked for ways of letting these characters endure throughout the story. So uh, a combination of, well, you know what, I'm not going to say the, the ways he does it because he does it in very clever ways. But the way that we do know he does it with Lee Pace's character is this idea of the Cleonic dynasty, this kind of the triple throne, the this sort of continuing cycle of sort of dawn day and dusk where lee pace grows into himself again and again and again and is both his father and his son simultaneously and not only is it a genius idea to keep him on stage and it puts a face on the empire at the heart of this story but as beth as you alluded to just watching him bicker with the older and younger versions of himself <laughs> is glorious it's just so much fun and their mannerisms are the same like it's really really great i love the fact that they've taken efforts not to go full star trek in terms of like insert site like science babble here like it's really stripped down it's straightforward it's not nerdy at all with the technology they use very simple language to describe anything that's a bit sci-fi because you don't really need to know how it works and they're very aware of that let's get let's get on with the plot there are a lot of plot strands in this first season and i don't know quite as i don't know the books that well so i don't know quite which books they draw from but there are a number of different disparate uh plot lines and initially like the shows that I do love, like The Witcher, they can be really hard to follow yeah. because they don't, like one will stop and then it won't pick up again for three episodes. You're like, uh, what? And then you'll th- literally, you'll have title cards come up saying, 35 years later, 400 years <laughs> yeah, before. it's A hundred years later, and you're like, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> but, in, like, but you've got to roll with it and it's fantastic. It is really fantastic. And there is a bit where there's a massive cliffhanger and then two episodes later, you're like, I have no idea how that resolves because we moved to the other end of the galaxy. Yeah. we're doing something else yeah. now but it all does make sense and the final episode ties it all together beautifully or, or, or rather I should say it probably ties it all together beautifully because Apple's uh, embargo system does of course mean we can only really talk about the first episode so let's say the trailer for the final episode ties <laughs> yeah. it all together beautifully but, I noticed so, so we won't talk that- about specifics I was reading the reviews, the other reviews this morning. I've noticed that everyone's just just basically ignoring that that whole missive from yeah. Apple. They're just re- well, because you can't review thing. a show like yeah, that, exactly, like, you know. Exactly. But I, I won't talk about any plot specifics. But I will yeah. say that if it feels cold and detached early on, that doesn't last. Like you really start to feel how these characters are interconnected, and you get in their skin, and you start to love them. And actually, even the most emotionless seeming characters, like. The Emperor, Emperor Cleon, who is very cold and he has a whole speech about why he has to detach himself from individual suffering because he rules tens of thousands of worlds. Even he, like the characterization there is magnificent. There's a wonderful subplot about what's going on within within the dynasty, which becomes one of the most compelling things. Um, I, I I, mean, I cannot say enough good things about the show. I could talk about it forever. Uh, my full wow. review of this is actually up on the Empire site uh, if you want to have a look at it, uh, <laughs> if you want more detail. But uh, I think think it's great and i think you know people say oh what are the essential streaming services and very few people ever say apple and i think it's partly because their output is so low they just don't have that many shows but i will say in terms of sheer fucking quality and balls out just like we don't care what anyone thinks we're just going to do something totally mental and to hell with everyone like the anti-network mentality i i take every hat in the world off to apple (laughs) for the stuff that they do like do something batshit like c to adapt something like foundation which must have cost all the money in the world like 
it exactly it looks like it's got dune level budget when you watch mm. this show it's mm. just so lavish it's just it's stunning it is absolutely stunning. it's a beautiful show to watch uh and i just love the fact that apple are happy to take chances on these things yeah. and to do these things and you know god love them if they give goya eight seasons of this i will be you know a fan for life of them <laughs> i'll buy every I'm iphone sure they ever bring their out main, their main takeaway <laughs> yes. i'm sure it is james sure dyer is, is going to be in love us forever so therefore we commission the seven further seasons of foundation <laughs> but uh, yes foundation is available not in all its glory but in the first episode is it one or two that are available day one i don't know I think one, I think. We say sure. one, yeah, maybe two. So, yeah. If you go there yeah. and there's two, then you've got double the fun to have. But yeah. like, it will be dropping weekly on Apple TV Plus, uh, and it could not possibly be more worthy of your time. So do watch Foundation. Uh, it's two two episodes of Foundation, by the way. I just checked. There oh, it's go. two. It's two episodes of Foundation. Okay. Yeah, there you go. Next up this week, we have Ridley Road, and this is the show that's filling the submarine-shaped void. Uh, the vigil leaves behind when it departs on Sunday night on BBC One. Uh, this comes from writer Sarah Soleimani and looks at the rise of fascism in 60s London as Aggie O'Casey goes undercover to root out neo-Nazis in post-war Britain. Boydie, what did you make of this one? Um, yes, this is, uh, this is uh, I think, like a dream project for me because um, it's very rare that you get um, the Jewish experience, frankly, um, shown on TV these days in uh, any kind of TV drama or films, or it's it's a, it's a pretty rare occurrence. And I think with the, I would say resurgence, or certainly the um, the issue of anti-Semitism has not gone away. In fact, in recent years, um, for various reasons and in various incarnations, it's it's uh, you know very very prominent and very clearly still happening. And this is a based on the kind of background of this story. So Sarah Soleimani, the brilliant Sarah Soleimani, who we know mostly as being the star of such things as Him and Her uh, and uh, Et al. But she's also, she's been writing a lot of stuff in, in recent times. And she has adapted this novel by Joe Bloom. And the backdrop is real. So there really was a group called the 62 Group, which was a group of Jewish men mostly but with their wives helping them and that's made quite clear um in the in the in the story but it was officially a group of men who would fight the um on the kind of um burgeoning neo-nazi movement in the early 60s in both britain and america and um all of these things really happened there really was a resurgence of neo-nazis in the early 60s and there really was this group called the 62 group um who tried to fight them and the story focuses on a young woman played by Aggie O'Case who's say Vivian and she um she's kind of lives in the north but she kind of has dreams of um you know being a hairdresser and um her kind of um illicit she's supposed to be in an arranged marriage with a kind of quite quite so we say dis- if you're in an arranged marriage for this Such guy you'd be quite disappointed such, Such a drip is the word. So she's she's supposed to be marrying this drippy guy, but she's really secretly in love with a hunky, sexy, hot dude, Jack, played by Dom, Tom Vary. And he turns out to be a, a, operating deep undercover in this uh, neo-Nazi group, which is led by Rory Kinnear as Colin Jordan. He's the leader of the neo-Nazis. And weirdly, bizarrely, Rory, Rory Kinnear also played a neo-Nazi leader in Penny Dreadful, in the second series of Penny Dreadful, City of Angels. <laughs> Weird. When he, yeah, when he played a, a, a 1920s neo-Nazi dude, Nazi dude. So that's weird. Um, but he is very interesting, fascinating, creepy kind of um, character. And 
Um, so it's kind. It works as a thriller in its own right because you know there's a whole story. Of what would happen if a young woman fell in love with a guy whose whole life is being devoted to undermining and, uh, and going undercover with the Nazis, and she and then she gets embroiled in that herself, and then she's left her family behind in the north. They're worried about what the hell's happening to her. So there's a whole thriller element. Can these people um, deal with and fight back against the neo Nazis? It's also a kind of this romantic thing going on with um, Tom Vary and Agio Ketis' character. Um, and and you're learning a lot as well. There's the 60s London setting. So she she moves to uh, Soho. She works in a, in a, um, in a hairdresser's uh, run by Tamsin Althwaite's character. And so there's a kind of quite rich depiction of 60s, early 60s London. They use actual footage sometimes in the scene transitions. I thought was a really interesting choice to show what it looked like and what it was like. Um, it, but the main thing, Eddie Marzan plays the leader of the anti-fascist group, Solly, who I think is fantastic. It's an absolutely mm. perfect role for him. Um, so you've got this cast, Eddie Marzan, Rory Kinnear, Tracy Ann Oberman. Um, it plays uh, Eddie Marzan's wife. I, I loved it because I just, I didn't know about this group, I have to say, you know, the 62 group. I didn't know the level of neo-Nazism that was going on in the early 60s in Britain and in America. You meet the, an American leader of neo-Nazis as well. I think in episode two or three, I've watched... Uh, three of the four. I think it's a really clever, smart, compelling, gripping thriller, and it's saying a lot about anti-Semitism because the speeches that the that um, Rory Kinnear's character makes about cons- global conspiracy theories about Jews are the kind of thing that anti-Semites now are still propagating in conspiracy theories. Pretty much every conspiracy theory known to man, as David Vanille often points out, it comes back to Jewish people. And, you know, if you, all of them, pretty much. It's extraordinary. So I think this is a very timely, important, but, but most of all, entertaining new series. Yes, I would agree with that. A hundred percent. And it's so handsomely made as well. I really love, mm. um, I don't know, when you're, when you're watching these periods, shows you're looking for like the wrong number plates or you know it everything's modern day but it's obviously been dressed up to look like the period it's set in whereas this feels very very naturally like it belongs to that era in a way that doesn't feel gimmicky or too overly staged it blends really seamlessly with the archive footage that is used to help tell the story it starts off with a real banger as well because it starts off kind of a little way into the future before trailing back and explaining how they get there and that is that got my attention instantly like that that is is really really fascinating um and a great way to hook you in this is agio casey's first role is that right yeah Yeah, astonishing She gets to really, she reminded me a little Amazing, bit of um, Anya Taylor-Joy, the way that she can kind of um, transmit mm. an awful lot with just a look or a glance, you know, these these big kind of opalized and how she's able to, you know, hold in a lot of things and you can't really tell what she's thinking all at once, which makes her perfect for this as she obviously, as you say, has to become embroiled in this conspiracy. It's a fascinating story. Um, I was really, really interested in this, super interested. And I loved the ensemble cast as well. Tracy Ann Oberman is, like you say, it's really important that it involves, you know, how the women kind of helped and she gets to come yeah. in and be the the voice of, you know, say things people don't necessarily want to say or the voice of reason or, you know, the one that can kind of cut to the heart of what's going on. Um, it's quite hot. Like there's a great love story at the middle of it, like a believable, mm. very, you know, very hot love story between um between Vivian and Jack as well. Uh, yeah, really enjoyed this. Really enjoyed it. I'm going to carry on, carry on watching it. 
Yeah, it is one of those things where on the one hand, it's really entertaining, but also it's fascinating because yeah. I know very little about this sort of particular period. I know about obviously the, the rise of the like the British Society of Fascism, Oswald, Oswald Mosley, kind of post-World mm. War One, yeah. that kind of rise mm. of fascism yeah. in the UK. But I know very little about this, the rise of the NSM. Um, but yeah, I thought it was great. I thought she was really, really compelling in this role, yeah. especially as kind of the journey that she goes on, even in the first episode, from being in a marriage that she's not, well, an engagement uh, that she's not, shall we say, over the moon about, to running after her lost love, to then becoming embroiled in this kind of anti-fascist crusade. It's it's absolutely fascinating. It's really tense. It's incredibly stressful at times. Yeah. And it looks beautiful. And I love the mixture of archive footage and actual sort of like set design to bring you that real feel of 60s London. Um, I thought it was great. Uh, whether it's quite as, you know, it's not. I don't think it's going to be quite as addictive as Vigil is in terms of that particular slot but i don't think it necessarily needs to be i think it's a, it's still a great yeah. way to end the week it feels like really lovely sunday night viewing yeah. something meaty to get your teeth into which is sort of like interesting and engaging and character-led and there's just lots here to, to love i think yeah and this is as we said it's in the vigil slot so it's bbc one on sunday starting october the 3rd at 9 p.m and playing every sunday thereafter for four weeks finally this week, we have Hollington Drive, the part of the podcast that I suspect Sophie is not listening to. <laughs> uh, but, as you've already heard, this sees the eponymous middle-class enclave thrown into disarray when 10-year-old Alex is declared missing. Uh, Sophie has obviously gone now, so tell us what you really think of this one, Beth. <laughs> well... I so I loved Blood. I've still not completed the second season, but I absolutely loved it. Um, I think she is a real master of just peppering little clues and kind of um, sort of strands that could lead somewhere or couldn't lead somewhere. Sort of, she's got such an interesting rhythm in her storytelling, and in, when it comes to mystery as well. I think Sophie is a real master at that. I'm always engaged with the stories that she's telling. And this, for me, is is no exception. It's um, thrilling. It's really, really thrilling storytelling. So we've got, um, yeah, this this mystery at the start where um, this uh, woman who's, who's battling her own demons, which we find out more about kind of further along the way, uh, finds her son and her son's friend behaving in very suspicious ways. Uh, and shortly after one of their classmates goes missing, um, which leads her to think about her son's involvement. Is he involved? Isn't he involved? And then the choices that happen after that. And then her sister has got her own uh, demons as well to battle. They've got a very close bond, which is explained as it goes along. So it's really about the relationships within this this small, very... Um, prestigious community like like she said it's a it's an aspirational kind of um new development that they live in as well where there's there's plenty of secrets uh and yeah i just thought this is just good old-fashioned mystery storytelling in a in a modern setting and i think it works very very well yeah it's 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 such a i mean the mastery of storytelling and character i think is so evident like you, you're literally completely gripped by the first ad break um you know so it, it, she sets up sophie sets up sophie that's sort of writing it sets up and we should say the director um uh, Carolina Carolina Giamatti, that's a brilliant Giamatti, yeah. yeah yeah she directed the drowning which is a channel five one of the channel five one that i think one of the biggest channel five um 
kind of stripped across the week thriller that was really, really um, effective and really well done. And she does a brilliant job just at ratchet, keeping the tension kind of going constantly almost. And Anna Muxwell Martin, um, as, as, as we mentioned when we talked to Sophie about it, absolutely perfect for this role of this woman, mm. totally on edge, like almost constantly at a level of borderline, like just, just palpably stressed out and anxious and angry about various things, um, having a, a very kind of bickery relationship with um, her partner, Fraser, played by Russian Stone, who's really great as well. He's a kind of, you know, trying to be laid back and relaxed dude and helpful. And she's, but clearly irritating um, Adam Maxwell Martin's character, Teresa. I thought that relationship was so real. All the relationships, so she, she has this initial um, barbecue, you know, this lovely middle-class barbecue with all the kind of main players are gathered, all the, all the members of this mixed extended family. And just the little pen portraits of the characters, you know, work so well. So that I just had, by the time that first ad break happens and the plot kicks in which is that one of their neighbors kids has gone missing and are um you know both both these sisters children somehow involved you you kind of feel like you know the main characters really well within about the first 10 12 minutes extraordinarily yeah. clever writing i thought was brilliant and then by the end of the first episode when he, more loads of stuff happens there's a brilliant there's a brilliant revelations twist all within the first episode by the end of it i was like i'm just massively massively hooked entirely desperate to watch the rest of it and to work out how it plays out i think that the deployment of surprises and she did this in blood very effectively in both series of blood the deployment of surprise moments is so clever the rug pulls are so brilliantly done, both in terms of the writing and direction. I think this is top, top level, you know, brilliant TV thriller stuff. And I love it. There is a house call in episode one where I honestly, I ended up going, oh, you did not at the screen. Yeah. <laughs> I was yeah. like, no. Yeah. <laughs> I just, just genuinely, and I don't know how you go about writing this stuff, but the level of sort of like DEFCON 1 weaponized passive aggression was like, <laughs> yes. like nothing I had ever seen. It was just extraordinary. Uh, I loved every second of it. Just the exchanges between between Anna Maxwell Martin's character uh, and, and her partner. It's just, it was just, I mean, it was painful. Like you actually, yeah, it's, it's, it's like something you said about feels, isn't it? It's not always about feel good. Like this is a show that like needled at my anxiety. Like I felt sort of like low level stressed out mm. all the way through mm. and it just spiked at various points. And just the conversations between her and her partner, I could feel just like exactly how awkward that would be to be in that scenario and how it's like the bubbling resentment. Like she says something, you know, clearly very passive aggressive and, but, yeah. and then he sort of like silently reacts to it and then says something back and it's just like oh god <laughs> yeah also props yeah. to ken nosu as his brother eddie who again so much magnificent bellendery that was that yeah. was particularly yeah. well deployed i thought that was good uh also as well to emily b smith who plays eva and that is she is in fact did you know the uh most recent voice of peppa pig so oh, wow. oh, if she sounded shit. familiar that's why right. <laughs> oh, wow. how do you yeah. know yeah, that she's right. um, <laughs> yeah that is I, yeah, I thought uh, I, I really did like this. I really enjoyed it. I wasn't sure. So I deliberately didn't read anything about this going into mm. it. I didn't know anything about the story at all. Uh, so I went in and I had no idea where it was going to go. And it was fascinating to see it develop mm. sort of in stages from the initial where have these gone to then the bombshell when you realize what it's actually about mm. and then how it all plays out. And it's, it's, it is, it's the little character moments between each other. And I found it fascinating listening to her talk about, you know, when, when she's discussing it with a co-writer about uh 
Does, is this silly? Does this feel silly? <laughs> yeah. I'm not sure it feels silly. No, it's just right. And I totally get that from it because it's the way people communicate, but without all the shit that mm. you'd have to sift through if you actually listen to the way people communicate. So it feels real without having sort of overt verisimilitude, which actually would be distracting. Yeah. Uh, so something very organic about the way it's put together. But uh, yeah, uh, I loved it. Brilliant casting, some great performances. Uh, this was this was great. And there's only four episodes as well. It's only yeah. a four-episode show. Yeah. But... Uh, uh, but yeah, can't can't wait to watch the rest of this. I think Cannot they wait. should have stripped across it. That's my one complaint. I would say I think it I think it's set up, you know, to be consumed in 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 one week, shall we say? And I'm a bit annoyed that ITV is parceling out week by week. So that's my week only, by week uh, yeah. issue. Yeah, there we go. Well. <laughs> Hollington Drive arrives on ITV the first episode anyway on Wednesday, September the 29th at 9 p.m. And what else is out this week, Boyd? Oh, I have to mention Made. On any other week, I mean, I've, this happens quite a lot, but Made yeah. is a new Netflix drama series based on a book which um, details the real experience of a woman who was driven, she was in an abusive relationship, and she ended up having to become a maid, working as a cleaner, basically, um, uh, in people's lavish, rich people's lavish houses. Um, it stars Sarah Qualley, who you will know from um, The Leftovers, mainly, people who like The Leftovers. She is absolutely brilliant in the lead role. She's also the daughter of Andrew McDowell, who plays her mother in the show in a brilliant bit of it's stunt casting, but it works fantastically because Andy McDowell is awesome as her oh, kind yeah. of as a seriously troubled mother with serious issues. Um, the first episode is spectacular, and um, again, I have to warn, like warning for James. You haven't watched it, have you? Yeah, I have not. I no. mean, you are going to be distressed because it's talk about having a bad day. <sighs> Fucking hell, this poor woman <laughs> that she goes through in just one day in the first episode is unbelievably painful, difficult distressing, traumatic, all of the words, all of the things that you find difficult to deal with when you're watching television. Yep. They're all there. But it's brilliantly done. I have to say it's absolutely brilliantly done, the first episode, which is the only one I've watched. So, and it, so even though it sounds bleak and grim, because it is all about a woman dealing with all of this stuff, dealing with an abusive relationship, dealing with she ends up being a single mum with her kid, she's got a mother who's a nightmare, all of this stuff, she desperate, has no money whatsoever. There's a brilliant device they use to count down how much money she's got on screen so that by the end of it, spoiler alert, she has almost literally no money whatsoever and she has to try and kind of, you know, you know, make a future for herself with her kid. It's really brilliantly done. Molly Smith-Metzler um, has adapted it and is the showrunner. Um, and Nick Robinson pops up as the abusive boyfriend. It's a really, really well cast it's really well directed and um, scripted. I absolutely believe every single second of it, and it's it's so skillfully um, put together. So and so, I was to say, even though it is really bleak and grim, it's actually entertaining as well because you're really rooting for um, this character, and and um, it's so smartly done that it's actually even though you're watching distressing stuff happening, I think it's it, it, it's really worth. Um, watching because I say it is entertaining somehow within that context. Maybe John Wells, who's the kind of what the producer, I think he directed the first episode um, of West Wing fame, etc., um, does a really good job. He knows what he's doing, and it's and it's kind of he a does. brilliant show, basically. Um, so I'd say in any other work, we, we'd have done a lot on this, and yet it's just another Netflix series that's dropping. You know, um, <laughs> much fanfare, but it should have an enormous amount of fanfare because I think it's really, yeah. really great. And then apart from that, there's the Goes Wrong show, which I love. We've I've banged on about before. Yeah. Starts oh, yeah, tonight, yeah, yeah. Monday, BBC One, eight thirty. Brilliant. Melon yeah, last Sue, night, Monday. Men since we're going out on Tuesday oh, this oh, yeah, week. Sorry. <laughs> Yes, last night Monday, 
Um, Melon Sue's Hitman is back. Hitman Reloaded starts on Wednesday on Sky. I think it's really entertaining. Um, And I think that's the main stuff. There's The Great North, which is an animated series on stars. No. Clearly, we haven't watched it. Um, what else is happening? Uh, For Life, which we quite liked. Uh, oh, yeah. Season 2 drops on Sky Witness. That's on the 27th at 9pm. Uh, also, interesting enough, the problem with Jon Stewart, which seems to me, and I've not watched it yet, but it looks like it's Apple's answer to Last Week Tonight with Jon Oliver, a.k.a. the one that wins all the Emmys. <laughs> so um, I'm, I'm fascinated. Jon Stewart's great. So yeah. I'm fascinated to at least watch the first one of this and see what it's like. But unlike The Daily Show, it's going to be taking one particular issue and doing a deep dive into it like John Oliver does. So, um, yeah, the problem with John Stewart and that drops, first episode of that drops on Apple on the 30th. Pick of the week. Oh, tough one for me. I'm going Hollington Drive. All right, well, you do that and I'll do um, Ridley Road then. <laughs> Sorry, Sophie. I apologise profusely, but for me, it is always going to be foundation, of isn't course, it? Yeah, so, yeah. Yes. I feel like that's what she would want, to be fair. I think it's yeah. what she'd want. I do. Yeah. I think it's what she'd exactly. want. Exactly. Oh, right. Well, I guess that is it for this millennium-spanning episode of the Pilot TV Podcast. <laughs> Apologies to those of you who had other things to do today. Uh, you can find us all up on the socials at James C. Dyer, at Boyd Hilton, and at Beth K. Webb. And you can and should follow Sophie on at Sonic underscore screw up. Uh, we'll be back next week with some other stuff, the nature of which I genuinely have no idea about, but there will be shows, at least three of them. We'll watch them. We'll probably talk about it. But quite honestly, by the time you finish this mammoth episode, it's probably next week already. So see you in a minute. Pilot out. <laughs>